0: to some more interseason goodness from your boys at Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, as always, Mr. Matthew Stockton. Why did you say that name? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. if that, That's not enough of a tease, listeners. I don't know what is. The Snyder because, Cut! <laughs> Hashtag. It, 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 it fuck fucking off. ain't. Yeah, it really isn't. Don't get your hopes up, people. <laughs> Definitely not. And of course, speaking of huge Zack Snyder fans, <laughs> we're also joined by Tim Matum.
1: Gordon's
2: alive!
1: <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> the other Snyder cut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God, no! Oh, we don't need a grim, dark remake of Flash of Gordon. Good lord. Please, God, no.
2: <laughs> Hashtag release the blessed cut.
1: <laughs> hey, there we go. The blessed cut. That's what they refer to the Snyder Cut as. <laughs> <laughs> a sweet blessed
0: cut. The right-wing Christians who support Zack Snyder will be calling it. <laughs> sure. Oh, God. So, as you may have guessed, obviously, from the title of the episode and from the teases there, we're delving into something a little bit interesting, a little bit different, and... Honestly, a topic I hadn't even really thought about until we mentioned it as an idea for one of these interseason episodes. We'll be discussing various forms of alternate film history, and what that means. Doodledoo, doodledoo, doodledoo. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Doing the uh, the Wayne's World style flashback. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now we do the Scooby Doo ending. Um, <laughs> no, so. The alternate film history is kind of a way of us discussing... it. it it's our version of a what-if, essentially, if you know Marvel Comics or uh, Elseworlds, as it's also known in DC. We've got lots of different options for if this person had done this thing or so-and-so had directed this thing. So, like, common examples you can think of, like, if a certain actor had taken up the role of a famous character instead of this actor, and that set their career off in a different path or whatever. Mm. Um, and it's an interesting topic, really, because I, having ideas that you kind of realise, like, Matt and I were talking about the other day, because I was really struggling to think of anything that wasn't literally. The example I used was, oh, if Eric Stoltz hadn't been kicked off of Back to the Future, how different would the world be? And I was like, ah. I, I don't know, like one, one person's <laughs> career, would that would that make that much of a difference? And like mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox is kind of just known for that and obviously his TV work and stuff. So would it have it affected the, the rest of the world in terms of cinema that much? I'm like, oh, maybe, no, I want, I want something a bit more, something a bit juicier, something a bit more interesting. And you guys had already come up with your interesting ones. And, and I was like, oh, that's, oh, they're really clever and really cool. And uh, yeah, it's something I hadn't really thought about and then you start picking at the little the threads of time and history, and you're like, oh, oh, there's a butterfly effect there. If, if that happens instead of that, or that guy directs this thing instead of that thing, and that actor is in that thing, mm. but then he's dead or he's not dead or whatever. Oh my God, this is, you know, this changes the last 20, 30, 40 years of cinema history, and we could be living in a completely different world by now if this thing did or didn't happen. It's a, I think it's going to be a really interesting t- topic for discussion and not something a lot of people really think about. I guess you occasionally get the articles of like what would
1: have happened if blah 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 blah, but yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion point for sure. It's it's weird because it's kind of basically very much in our wheelhouse because the very nature of us doing sequelizers is speculation and hypotheticals. So we say like they're That's very oh, true, yeah. yeah what, what happens if this individual had been in a certain film? And then also we get to the point where uh, back when it was the the, uh, the previous formats of the show, where you'd say, "Well, would you have been able to get this person for this? They were working on this at the time, <laughs> and you know, and it's you know, it was classic sort of dissection, lawyer's argument. But at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, would you have been able to pry them off this release, and would this sidetrack this film? And the and the one that really got this as a suggested idea for for uh, in season content was strangely enough the Lion King episode that we did, saying that <laughs> it. it <laughs> With, with Rat and Pig, which is a throwback to yeah. Patreon special things that aren't going to make any sense. Uh, my, my, maybe my favourite outtakes in the history <laughs> of our outtake.
0: And one that I have I have clipped out, and uh, patrons, I might add this as a little, uh, if you want it, as a little, I don't know, like a ringtone or a text alert or something like that. <laughs> I have clipped out Matt's little uh, moment where he talks about, eh, what would uh, Timon and Pumba's kind of theme song sound like? Instead of Elton John being involved in, you know, the classic, like, sweeping ballads of the Lion King and all this kind of stuff, how about Randy Newman instead? <laughs> and it's, it's fucking genius. And if you haven't already heard it, go back and listen to our Lion King 2 episode where we... Uh, mm. Yeah,
1: that that gold is, <laughs> is harvested from that, from that Jesus Christ. But anyway... Uh, uh, it, it was a weird one Because obviously it was a fun episode We were doing things We are trying to figure out What basically became The series 5 going onwards Format of the show That worked so well for us um, But we were then discussing The idea of The Lion King 2 Basically being a bit of a You know it did fine But not the huge success It could have been And also if Lion King 2 Had been released in the cinema As a big cinematic release Would the uh, Disney have bothered With the straight video stuff? Would they have done As much as we did With the vault The Disney vault? all these questions that could have changed how Disney did things. And again, in terms of would they have basically for it, but would Pixar have stolen as much of the limelight if Disney was not only doing the Disney films, but also massive Disney sequels that were in other words, good um, and funneled actual yeah. money yeah. into it. Um, and it sounds like a, such a small thing, but it could change everything entirely. Again, if, if there's no Pixar, because I mean, yes. Okay. You know, at the same time we're talking about how toy Story about it, it's revolutionary and so on and so forth and Disney Pixar having that sort of um, sort of uh, collaborative work to start with, and that's an entirely separate conversation. So, as Jack said, <laughs> you can pull the threads, and very quickly things do start to unravel. I mean, one of my favourite games when I was younger is uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert, because of the idea that um, Albert Einstein goes back in time, shakes hands with Hitler, and Hitler dies, and he's like, ah, oh, we did it, save the day. And they're like, well, no, if there's no... If there's no Nazis, yes, that's te- that's that's arguably good. You save millions of lives, but then Stalin's still around. Russia rises up at the new as the new obvious empire. And and obviously it's a very silly, um, almost comic booky sort of style of of storytelling. But it raises a lot of what-if questions. And this, I mean, one of the biggest things we were talking about on the streaming services um interseason episode that we did is that every channel seems to have, for some reason, a what-if. And the, you've got the classic um, man in the high castle. What if the Nazis won the war? Effectively, um, you've got the uh, other variation ones. I think was the Apple TV one. What happens? What we'll if the Russians got to the moon first? Basically, and oh yeah, how how big these things have been. And cinema is no different. Um, and you know, politics is the obvious one because obviously it shapes the nation—not uh, one nation, but multiple nations. Um, but but the the art form in general. And you can do it the same with music. What happens if... I mean, that's kind of that She Back to the Future tries to say in a weird way. What if Marty McFly hadn't gone back in time and Chuck Berry hadn't come up with the idea of his own <laughs> song? <laughs> if, if Marvin Berry hadn't picked up that phone. Yeah. What happens, called his cousin. What happens if the white man doesn't give another guy of colour all his ideas? Thank you, Zemeckis. That's really weird. Um, but yes, effectively, the idea that cinema being slightly different changes everything in terms of economy, in in terms of culture, in terms of what we see and quote and how stories are told. It's a big important thing. What happens? And this is a huge, huge alternate film history we are not covering. What happens if we never really discover how to make films in colour? And it's like, what what do you mean? Yeah, and it's like, I know, because the logical mindset is, well, of course you would eventually know that. And it's like, well, why would you? If you think of some sort of, Crazy hyper future style cinema experience where you've got augmented reality or something, and you go into a, a VR experience or, or as a collective room, you get 3D without the glasses where it's a depth of field thing, where it's like an actual theater basically, but you know, but a film and you can feel the heat of the 4D of it all, but without glasses and seats, and you can, you know, more like an experience and it'd be very different. And you're like, yeah, that's science fiction and weirdness. It's like, so's mm. color and. You know what if yeah there's there's so many different things you can pick apart. I mean, cinema could be cinema could have failed multiple times, um, <laughs> and and just literally not be a thing anymore. And I don't think any of our things today are, are well. I don't know actually. we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that because I think I think one of them actually may potentially end cinema as we know it. But we'll come back to that.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's some really interesting examples like you can that you can have resonate both within cinema and out into the real world, um, like like Matt says. Um, one of the things that inspired me for this was uh, a really good article on Vulture, which um, we'll stink the, stick a link to in the uh, show notes, um, basically exploring what happens if uh, Sandra Bullock hadn't won an Oscar for uh, The Blind Side, uh. and basically kind of using that sort of Academy Awards almost sort of maths that they do where uh you know so and so deserves an Oscar for uh because they lost out last time. Yes. Kind of thing. Right. And yeah, basically yeah, like having that kind of evolve and play out and you end up with uh Rooney Mara being cast as Carol Danvers for Captain Marvel. Um oh, interesting <laughs> um because uh she uh Uh, She wins uh, best supporting actress for Carol uh, Mm, and kind mm. of edges out um, Brie Larson. Uh, It's fascinating. Yeah, so it's 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 a really like just that kind of little that game of dominoes Mm. um, is uh, is fascinating.
1: Because let's face it, the one of the conversations, if you look at the if you track a a career trajectory, if you look at Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, where everyone's like, "Oh, Leo hasn't won an Oscar. This is really sad." and then you see certain films he's doing around the time he finally does get his Oscar, he does some ridiculous shit. Um, and hes it's very much like he's trying so hard to be more and more, you know, give it everything from the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where he's, well, every single Wolf of Wall Street, but mostly where he's like shoving a candle <laughs> in his ass and he's like, you know, like, no, I want it to be real. And then in, finally in Revenant where he's eating that raw bison liver or whatever the fuck it is, despite him being a vegetarian. Um, and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, That how how much how much would he have gone into to chase that gold, as it were? Would he have done something ridiculous? Would he have need to kill himself? What happens? And this is a really strange one, but and also maybe a little unfair because we we, we talk about personal lives, but this is a kind of an important thing here. What happens if Tom Cruise never joined the Church of Scientology? Does he still have the career he has? I'm not saying it chalks it up to it. Does, and does he like... still look 30 when he's 105 <laughs> or however old he is now? Yeah. Would he have done, like, rather than the thing where he's constantly chasing being a young man and constantly trying to almost practically kill himself with I can run off, you know, death. I can jump death if I just I just make another extra film mm. where I
0: go a little too far... Would if he I, be the I world's actually... most expensive stuntman like he is now?
1: Yeah, exactly. If I just actually fly this plane, I'll be fine. I can get away from my past or whatever the fuck they've got on me. Um... <laughs> is that what you think he's trying to do with all these crazy
0: stunts? <laughs> so like, well, if I die, at least I don't have to live with my traumatic past.
1: <laughs> it's just where he's running from. Um, but yeah. the, the truth is that, you know, he might have done a more introspective, you know personal tale that analyzes who he is as a person it, he could be like you know getting to like when in earlier in his career when he's getting a lot more oscar nods and things and doing really really interesting character pieces rather than just i want to be cool and badass i'm not saying he hasn't done amazing yeah. films but it just it things like that just small things that you think to yourself that's quite inconsequential it's like yeah but it might be huge um, I think Jack's example at the start About the whole Eric Stoltz thing I think because the, the difference between Stoltz and Zemeckis Where they were going with Back to the Future I think the only thing that would happen is The film would have been a bit underwhelming It would have um, not garnered any sequels um, I don't know if Ma- um, Michael J. Fox's career Would have been in any danger Because it was huge on TV anyway um, exactly, Maybe not as, yeah. as fast And we wouldn't have all the cultural touch points now
2: The question there becomes What does Michael J. Fox do instead of Back to future.
1: See that mm. yeah that's that's because interesting. because
2: he's obviously got a lot of charisma and you know has mm. has done various other things so does he does he do another film that blows up does he go on to do a different tv series that suddenly becomes like hugely
1: yeah um does he do twin peaks and ruin it <laughs> <laughs> just like you're not you're not suited for this it's it's it, it's valid questions it's really interesting and um again uh, um if you go back to what we were discussing a little while ago about the classic catch up stuff and again, these are very dark questions as well. What happens if people like Fritz Lang and, and Peter Lorre didn't get out of Germany before you know the Nazis mm, started wiping yeah. out Jewish people? Would we have the kind of cinema that we have now because of film noir being a product of German cinema and um, all this sort of stuff and influences and things like that, kind of talent, if they again... As I said we was Jack and I were obviously talking about this, and the, the the fastest way to get to an interesting point is to take an element in or out of something that's familiar. Um, and or you, you can see save how, it all about. Yeah, it's either it's either a Jenga moment where you take the brick out and it's like, oh, it's fine, it's a bit weird, but it's fine, or it collapses <laughs> everything and go, oh, I can't even, I can't even picture that. So yeah,
2: who knows? And we and we, I think we, you know, the things we've gone for are most of them are uh, reasonably consequential, but we also haven't gone for any of the big things. Like, we haven't tackled stuff like, hey, what happens if Hollywood never has the Hays Code?
1: Oh, Um, yeah, yeah.
2: And, like, Mm, the you know, these earth-shaking things. You know, what happens if um, uh, the House Un-American Committee's uh, Mm. hearings Mm. never happen and there's a bunch of screenwriters who aren't blacklisted?
1: No Spartacus, Um, that's all that happens.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... uh, yeah, I mean those those would be really like kind of earth-shaking big things. That well, would, it would be almost impossible to kind of track the yeah. repercussions
1: of. As as a weird example here, um just a bit of bit kind of flagrant self-promotion. So, um as as you guys may be well aware, um I do a award-winning web series called Super Happy Kill Time. Jack and Tim are in it along with lots of other amazing people and familiar faces to the sequelizers and things. But it is all based on a simple premise. It's sold as the idea of it's a live-action anime. And so you have lots of Japanese culture and um, elements and things and language in the show. Because And also, like obviously, in the terms of the visual medium. It's a, the way I sell it to people who aren't familiar with anime is it's a live-action cartoon. And people go, oh, OK, what's it about? It's about people who kill people. It's like, oh, it sounds silly. It's like, it is very silly and fun. It's good. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But the actual premise of the show is actually a what-if. And the what if is because Japan and Britain are very similar isolationist island nation empires over their course of their history. Both, you know, kind of bastards at times. And basically, um, that what 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 if in the early 1600s, rather than killing all the Christians and closing the borders and making it illegal to to have foreigners there, what if Japan didn't do that and forge this really strong collaborative empire with Britain, and subsequently oh. it becomes the idea of. Well, hang on, if you're doing that in the 1600s, that changes 400 years of history. So I always <laughs> point out that technically, you know, the way that Britain is, well, and I mentioned this on the show, I think, before, when when British people say, oh, I don't really watch foreign films, they will never include American films. Um, and they, they will for Australian films. It's not like an English language thing. An Australian or New Zealand film? Yeah, it's a foreign film. American film? No, nah, it's a film. And it's always down to the idea that a Britain is very Americanized, And we look at the products around us, everything around, it's, it's very much a collaborative thing after World War II. So again, in my in my creative world, as it were, mm. there is no World War II. There's no World War I. There's all the things, it's still war, obviously, Shit. but it's very different environment, very different relations, and things go back and forth and cultural exchange and blah, 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 blah. But you, you know, you 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 pull on the thread just a little bit and things do change dramatically. Um, and I think obviously the discussion we'll have with you guys on on, you know, Twitter and Discord and in other social medias about the impact of what this could mean. We've plotted out some ideas of where we think they could go. So we're going to basically Mm. have a steady flowing river. I'm going to dam it up and we're going to watch where the water goes next. And (laughs) it's, again, like like everything with sequel, it's purely speculative. We write a lot of pictures and assume they might work out quite well, but you never know. They could be like, even the best script, the best cast, sometimes it just doesn't work out. You're watching, this should have been good. I don't understand why it isn't good. Um, So... Yeah, with that, Jack, do you want to kick us off with yours? Certainly. I am
0: going to actually prevent the death of, but discuss what would happen in the last 26 and a half, 27 years since a certain event on the night of Halloween, 1993, mm. in Hollywood, California. I'm talking about if the death of River Phoenix didn't happen. And again, like I said, this is something I thought like, Matt and I were chatting about it the other day, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can see how that might affect a few other things. And I went off and did research, and I was like, oh, this is a thing that, as you said, you pull the thread, you then realise the butterfly effect that this potential... Uh, event not happening or happening has on the rest of Hollywood and the film industry as we know it. So, for those of you who don't know, River Phoenix, brother of Joaquin Phoenix, is um, you, you know, Academy Award winning actor who was in Joker and all that kind of stuff. River Phoenix died when he was 23 years old in 1993 of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was set up to be the next big thing. He was very much a teen idol. He was a, um, you might know him from things like Stand By Me, um, uh, Running on Empty, uh, my my own private Idaho, which I'll discuss in a second. He's been in a a, a few, you know, notable roles, but he was really being set up to be like when he gets into his you know mid twenties, late twenties, thirties, he's going to be a big big deal, and he's in the same sort of generation as people like Johnny Depp. Leonardo DiCaprio, all those guys, and he was kind of like the the forefront of those that generation of actors and being like, oh, he's going to be the one that breaks the mould and, and be the next big thing, and he's going to break out. Out of all of those guys who he was friends with as well, mm. he's going to be the one that makes it big, basically. And, of course, he didn't, unfortunately. He um, collapsed outside... A, a nightclub called the Viper Room, which was owned by uh Johnny Depp. Um and I think he was with like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and one of the guys from the Butthole Surfers and a bunch of other like, you know, famous
2: people. Um some, one of the guys from extremely Ministry. Extremely mid nineties famous <laughs> like, yeah. yeah,
0: famous famous people from nineteen ninety three, exactly, yeah. Um and unfortunately he'd gotten into uh drugs and stuff, and he was very close friends with uh John Frusciante, formerly of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who famously had a heroin overdose and died and came back and all this kind of stuff. And Red Hot Chili Peppers in the early 90s were full of drugs, as you can imagine. Mm. And, yeah, he kind of fell into that crowd. And, unfortunately, as he left the club, he thought he'd overdosed. He collapsed on the street. On the on, on Sunset Strip in LA, and was tried to be resuscitated. Went to hospital and was yeah pronounced dead. Um, in the morning of October thirty first, nineteen ninety three. Mm. So, if that hadn't have happened, there are a few key moments I kind of picked out. And the first one, I really thought of like how would that affect what he had going on at the time. So at the time of his death, what projects was he involved in? What was he signed up for? And the one that kind of came up straight away was he was supposed to be in an interview with a vampire. Mm-hmm. And the role that eventually went to Christian Slater was supposed to be River Phoenix. And so much so that the film is dedicated to River Phoenix in the, like, the, the credits. Yeah. That's like interesting okay okay so that's a that's a quick little like at the time this was happening and he would have played you know Malloy but it, his Slater's character okay yeah I can see that that's having you know him interviewing Lestart and then see how that would change the dynamic of that film maybe that would have changed Tom Cruise's career as you kind of hinted at earlier, Matt, like, would mm. that affect Tom Cruise?
2: Yeah, it kind of puts him in a league with them. Uh, exactly, yes. Because he had that buzz around him to suddenly have him be beside two other characters of kind of, oh uh, actors, I should say, Tom Cruise, who's obviously several, like, well, not several generations older, but, but in terms of Hollywood, several generations older, and then Brad Pitt, who's kind of between the two of them. It, you suddenly have this kind of almost like a dynasty effect of mm. like, here are, here are three male leads of like differing ages, but you can kind of see a continuity of, of type between them and it, it kind of elevates him up to their status by association.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if we, if we think about yeah. some some key individuals, if I mean, if you think of some big 50s or mid-50s actors right now, Robert Downey Jr., Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio is in his 40s so he's a bit younger, but thereabouts. Johnny Depp, um, they would have all been the same as Tim says in the same league as Phoenix. And to be fair, Phoenix, everything he was in was kind of good, and he was good in yeah. it. I and mean, everyone remembers his. He was universally yeah. acclaimed, pretty much by
0: his colleagues, by the directors he worked with, mm. by you know friends and family he was very well received by critics and the and the the audience the the one thing i've seen and quite a few people mention is that he was never a box office draw in his time necessarily but then of course of course the rebuttal to that is well he was 23 he yeah. has an he might have built that up and you know tom cruise wasn't necessarily a huge tom in 23 <laughs> or, exactly yeah yeah you don't get those stars necessarily by bursting out of the scene and being like hello i'm 21 and i'm the biggest fucking star in the universe like you get people who build a career and he's kind of done a bit of a or a, 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 he kind of did a bit of a weird where he does bigger films and then smaller weirder films and then bigger films and then smaller weirder films which is quite a common thing for a lot of people to do um people like Clooney and Brad Pitt and DiCaprio and all these people like go off and do these, you know, Mm. they work with a big Hollywood director and then they go and fund projects that they're passionate about or they're a producer on something or they write something or they direct something. And I can totally imagine Phoenix, again, like you said, Tim, being contemporaries with people like that in that kind of age group, in that kind of Hollywood A-list kind of group. And I bring up DiCaprio because the other two projects he was signed on to do at the time of his death, were The Basketball Diaries and Total Eclipse mm. and DiCaprio is the guy who replaced Phoenix in both of those films so if DiCaprio hadn't done that and made those steps pulling at the thread once again would DiCaprio have had the same career would he have gone off to do the amazing things he did in the last 25 years for example you know we've already got the connection there um with James Cameron through Stand By Me and things like that, so you've got would Titanic have had River Phoenix in it? How much would that change what was for so long the biggest film of all time? (laughs) (laughs) If suddenly River Phoenix is the star of the highest grossing film ever, then people can't say, Oh yeah, no, he's not a box office draw, you know, that, that Titanic is a career defining, genre-defining, cinema-defining film as much as, you know, don't particularly like it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's such a powerhouse of one of the most expensive films ever made, one of the highest-grossing films ever made, and reigned as the highest-grossing film for fucking ages until Cameron showed up with Avatar and then the MCU showed up, of course. But what a different world that would be if DiCaprio's career went off in a different way and River Phoenix was essentially slotted in, in in some of the roles where DiCaprio was cast in later years, you then get River Phoenix showing up and being that... Because they both had the teen heartthrob thing going. They were very like handsome, n- lovely 90s haircuts and all mm. kind of like... Not necessarily similar looking, but they had a similar kind of vibe and they were both very kind of... They, they um, really were.
1: And I think it's interesting yeah, to point yeah. out that the, 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 the classic floppy blonde hair from the 90s, but also... <laughs> their 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 motivation for cinema as well the, their their craft and how they're appreciated how they go at it and also the talent as well the fact that DiCaprio also goes for like big budget stuff and then independent stuff what, that he wants to do I mean it's not un- unrealistic to say you could just take the entire career of DiCaprio oh, No, that sounds like, you know this is a very uh, reductive not sentence but you can just paste DiCaprio's pretty career pretty much River yeah, Phoenix yeah, kind of. in Inception. Easily, and it's like <laughs> yeah. of course he'd be. Yeah. He, him, and Nolan would get on like a fucker. House on fire. Um, oh, it's... you can you can imagine him
0: being one of Nolan's boys, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But equally, as I was, we, were, we were discussing this, there is also the possibility that he could have ended up being cast as Batman in the Nolan Batman verse because, again, he would have been an eligible guy at that point. There's no reason to think that he yeah. wouldn't be. He's a very he's a very similar age to. as
0: well, you know, in his late 40s, early 50s. If he was still alive today, he would be turning 50 this year. So it's like, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So, thinking about how that would affect the things going around him, you then have what he'd already done. I mentioned my own private Idaho, so he'd already worked with Gus Van Zandt. Mm. And Gus Van Zandt took his death very, very hard. So much so he wrote a novel about it, like which was him processing... River Phoenix's Grief, if you're interested, folks, it's called Pink by Gus Van Sant. Uh, I've heard mixed things, um, but <laughs> it, it's an interesting, and it, it, it's a very like thinly veiled exploration of his grief around his friend and co-worker's death and how well he got on with River and what basically what big plans he had for him in his career going forward. Then, in that sense, do you then copy and paste some roles from... Gus yeah, Van Sant's yeah. career and he almost certainly would have wanted to have worked with River Phoenix in the future so does Goodwill Hunting completely change or does Gus Van Sant end up doing something different or does it shift in a different way where it's no longer Affleck and Damon and how does that affect the future of cinema if Affleck and Damon are never a thing as a duo mm-hmm. you have River Phoenix and someone else or Affleck and Phoenix or Damon and Phoenix whatever combination it would end up with it could be Phoenix and someone completely new. Fuck it, I don't know. Phoenix and DiCaprio. Who fucking
1: knows? It could be anything. <laughs> it could be the Affleck and Damon write it, but Gus Van Sant doesn't direct it. It could be directed by someone exactly. entirely different. It could be um, Catherine Bigelow directs it. For all we know, I mean, it could be anything. Oh yeah. Um, we we, yeah. we, we maybe that, that that film stays
0: there, but yeah, Van Sant is off doing another project with Phoenix, yeah. so he is yeah. never then never gets involved with that. It's like, mm. God, yeah, there's there's. The possibilities are endless, as we'll we will definitely definitely get to in the oh, end of yeah. your guys' yeah. picks as well. But yeah, this is one where, like I said, Matt and I were talking about, and I suddenly like suddenly started doing research and picking at the picking at the threads. I was like, yeah, that is really interesting at how mm. what a ripple effect. Because even you saying that, then I was I was thinking like, oh, what happens if he's cast? And it? it was like, well, obviously, Damon and Affleck wrote it, so it would continue with a different director, and then how does that change Van Sant's career? going forward, so it's even affecting not not just the roles he's cast in, but the people around him in terms of directors and writers and producers and all this kind of stuff.
1: I mean, Van Sant obviously is involved in the casting as well, does he whoever the replacement director, do they cast Robin Williams in one of his finest performances?
2: Uh, Yeah,
1: fucking hell, yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's there's interesting, you know, we talked a lot about how he could have kind of subbed in for Leonardo DiCaprio in a lot of ways. But also kind of knowing the the sort of uh camaraderie that existed and that there, there was this kind of social group of these actors. Yes. Like what does a what does a um River Phoenix Leonardo DiCaprio like co-starring Ooh. film look like? You know, is that is that does that get us a Leo Oscar earlier?
1: You it's, know? That's a good point. Do, do you mean in the same way that Toby Maguire and, and Leonardo DiCaprio are like best friends and everyone goes, wait what? And they've only just appeared together <laughs> like the Gats the Great Gatsby, for example. Um and yeah. again, perfect roles because it reflects their personalities fantastically as Carnaby and um Carnaby? As Caro and um and Gatsby. And I think yeah. it's it's not unusual to say, yeah, he could have been hanging out with these guys. Again, it could be it could have been that the new the new brat pack, rat pack, you know, depending on the eighties or fifties, with River Phoenix, Johnny Depp, Toby Maguire. Leonardo DiCaprio, all these up-and-coming kids who just... I mean, a lot of them did storm the box office. Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man in some of the most successful films of the early 2000s. Leonardo DiCaprio in the highest grossing film of all time. Depp was fucking Jack Sparrow conquering the world in that in terms of... Both. There's so much going on there. Does, and this is a silly thing to say, but it's worth mentioning, does Peter Jackson think to himself, he'd be a good elf, and suddenly he gets cast in Lord of the Rings. You just don't know what the impact could be. It could have been. It could have been huge. Could have been small. Could he have had a crappy little supporting role in Fast and Furious? Who fucking knows? <laughs> could he have elevated that franchise? No. No one can elevate that franchise. Not even Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah,
0: and you have you have like even younger people citing him as an influence. So mm. Jared Leto said River Phoenix is one of the reasons he wanted to get into acting. Uh, both of the Franco brothers mentioned how much of an influence both Joaquin and River were to them as younger men as well and if he's still alive, where does his influence expand to? Essentially, like, you know, in his death obviously you kind of get the um, not necessarily the martyrdom but you know what I mean, like he becomes this almost like legendary figure in that sense because deaths in Hollywood, that's kind of how that works, for for better or worse in some ways, but if he was still alive and still making films, then even younger actors would then be influenced by him, say, oh, he did an amazing role in 2005, and that's why I'm now a teenage actor in 2020. Like, that's such a weird thing of, like, yeah, if he is such a big star, his influence then expands from what significant influence he already had as a 23-year-old and the fact that he was already... Being tipped by so many people and by his colleagues and producers and directors and stuff as the next big thing, he already had that influence when he was so young. So yeah, I can imagine how much it may have grown in the following twenty five years.
1: It's it's just as a complete parallel because obviously young deaths in Hollywood isn't thing. Uh, one of my favorite actors, who only made three films effectively, is James Dean, and I always wonder what Hollywood would have looked like in the fifties and onwards if James Dean, you know. Didn't die, and carried on his friendships and legacy and and everything else gone. It's a really weird one to 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 pull the thread on, really. But also, sp- speaking of of the phoenixes, the plural, because there's a few siblings, but only one really big acting one, which is Joaquin Phoenix. The question: of, Does his career kick off at all? Does he does he go into acting? Does he bother? Does he go into music? That's a very good question. They were both they were both musicians when they were younger as well. That's right, yeah.
0: Um. River Phoenix, kind mean, of famously being part of a band called Alekka's Attic, that were this like folk rock band. That yeah, nineties. Um, they spot. were kind of yeah, exactly. And obviously, you've got that connection with Johnny Depp being a musician when he was younger as well, and that yeah. whole kind of scene of him being friends with, as I said, the Butthole Surfers and Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that whole kind of early nineties L.A. rock scene or whatever it was, you know, and Yeah, would would Joaquin not only, and as you said, not only had the success he had, but would he have stopped acting? Would he have just kind of let his brother do his thing? Because you know Joaquin is like four years younger than River, so Mm. maybe you would see River start to take those roles, not say take them away from Joaquin, but like get to them before he had the chance, and and. Would we have seen him as, as you said, if he wasn't cast as Batman? Maybe he ends up as Joker in Hmm. some form of the Joker movie, or maybe he's in—I don't know—the Master or or Gladiator. You can imagine him in Gladiator easily, like imagine him being, yeah, having Commodus as this like, because the whole thing about that is that Joaquin was young at the time, anyway. Like you know, he was was in his mid twenties, he must be twenty-five or twenty-six or whatever it is for when he's playing Commodus in Gladiator, you would have gotten a sort of mid to late 20s version of, of that in a in a similar kind of way with River as well. It's like, mm. yeah, yeah. And I can totally imagine him in that role. There, there's so many examples of like, oh yeah, like of course, I
1: can totally imagine him in that role and see him. You could go one step further. You could technically have, because it wouldn't surprise me if, if Ridley Scott did this, you could have a River Fe- sorry, a, a Joaquin Phoenix Commodus against... A River Phoenix, Maximus Decimus Meridius. Fucking hell! Because again, he'd be, uh, he would have You'd been be thirty melon at that point, man. and it's like, holy shit! I mean, yeah, he could play it, arguably, and you know, Scott likes going for talent, and Phoenix was one of the best talents there was, and things. Would he also? Would Phoenix have gone into more comedy stuff as well? I mean, not that he was known mm. for it, but he did try different stuff. So yeah, there's there's so many questions. There's one big question, however, one crazy big question. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, the 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 little thread I want to end on, and maybe we maybe there would be one fewer episodes of sequelizers because of River <laughs> Phoenix, or, or many or many fewer episodes of sequelizers. We don't know. He doesn't but fix that, that many films. <laughs> strikes me in particular. Well, you never know. He,
2: he might. I heard. remember that that famous River Phoenix quote where he's like, "I only want to star in sequels from now on and make them all good." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just to spite those guys from Norwich. (laughs) Podcasts don't exist yet, but uh, I want to ruin them.
0: (laughs) He was the inventor of podcasts and we didn't even know it yet. (laughs) But yeah, as you uh, may remember, dear listeners, a certain someone played a young Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That certain someone is, of course, River Phoenix, And also... He's really fucking good in that film as well. So
1: a really good performance. Yeah.
0: Really really fucking good.
1: And, if you want a young young Harrison Ford, he does it exceptionally well.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he kind of nailed that. Does that mean we would have gotten more young Indiana Jones stuff because there was certainly some interest in him doing more young Indiana Jones stuff after that performance and whether they would have done something obviously So Last Crusade is 1989, he dies in 1993, and they were talking about doing some more stuff and spinning it off and doing some young Indiana Jones stuff that wasn't the TV show and all the other bullshit they ended up doing. Or even, and this is where the sequelizers come in, Mm -hmm. would that mean we would have never gotten the abomination that is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull with Shia Bloody LaBeouf Hmm. <laughs> doing his mutt bullshit and all that crap. And um, we would have had a completely separate and actually good and potentially successful version of Young Indiana Jones that we then don't need the whole, oh, and he passes the torch to the next generation and it's Shia LaBeouf. Hmm. Shia LaBeouf, really? We've already had, oh no, we've already got two or three of these films in, in the bank, like already happened with... A really good actor being a young Indiana Jones. We don't need another young Indiana Jones. Mm. And, yeah. Oh, the, the just imagine a world where we didn't have to put up with Kingdom and the Crystal Skull. What a world we would live in.
1: <laughs> the, the, the impact of that alone is fucking huge for, like, well, a couple of reasons, but one major, major reason, and that is ultimately if you want to do a young Indiana Jones, he has to be obviously before, kind of the age where Harrison Ford is the Indiana Jones. He was fresh-faced. He could sell it for quite a while, I think. So you'd have to release it late 90s. And, again, it's George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Realistically, they might start doing a thing where they pen in a trilogy. If you do a trilogy late 90s, early 2000s, that means that wipes out the Star Wars prequels. <gasps> oh, man. See? <laughs> do you see? He could have saved us all.
0: He could have <laughs> saved us from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the Star Wars prequels.
1: I mean they would have come later, but that also then means that Disney doesn't buy up Star Wars in theory, and because is it for sale or not? Fuck. Who the fuck knows? It there's so much, and it's all speculative. We can literally say he could have also become the president. So yeah, I mean <laughs> arguably Reagan did, so yeah. Trump did, fucking hell. Um, but it, it it's it's so quick, you can say, not with too much um hyperbole that. Just one change, one actor's career who was on a huge... He was on a proper ramp to success. Just removing Absolutely. him from the timeline. There's a Dan Slot Spider-Man comic that I sort of loosely remember where it's um, about a door, if I remember correctly, and uh, they go through the door and they travel in time and it's just they take themselves out of time, as it were. And Spider—and uh, you know, this one guy goes through and it's almost like completely indifferent. When Spider-Man steps through, or Peter Parker, should I say, steps through it, the world kind of goes to shit. And the idea of time travel in that concept is that if you go through that door, you remove yourself from history that you never were, never would be. And everything you did and and do doesn't exist because you're not a thing anymore because you're traveling back and forth. It's a very simple but brilliant concept. And for most people, that's inconsequential because you don't make that much of an impact on life. But obviously, as Spider-Man, he would have averted so many different things. So again, if you take out something small, like what happens if, thunk, Hugh Jackman is not Wolverine? And it's like, oh, that's actually that 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 spins quite quickly, and and it's not like you know does his career go in some other form or is he did dead or alive, but just just one little thing can spin off sometimes in very interesting ways. I love this
0: idea of having this parallel universe where we get a completely different '90s essentially in cinema redefined by this young man who was set on a course, and as you said, Matt, on the on the ramp. Towards absolute stardom and being mm. one of the biggest stars in the world, being the Brad Pitt, the DiCaprio, the Depp, whoever it is of, of that time period, and just completely changing the last twenty-seven years and God, and, uh, yeah. I have I it makes me wonder if we are living in the dark timeline.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> it's all it's all question marks, but at the same time, the conversation is interesting. Absolutely. And
0: I think this episode is going to be full of interesting conversations. Oh, yeah. So we've kind of touched on a certain person's career there, and we I mentioned Indiana Jones, and I think that sets you up quite nicely, Tim, for your little suggestion of a parallel universe. So why don't you let mm. the listeners know what your plans are for this alternate timeline?
2: Yes, I am I am also uh, dealing with George Lucas and... Uh, dealing with things. I'm dealing with him. <laughs>
0: By locking him in the basement and stopping him from making the prequels And and all the other stuff
2: Well, I am definitely stopping him making the prequels Because I'm stopping him making Star Wars Fucking hell, here we go Because originally uh, He was trying to get the rights to Flash Gordon
1: When Tim wrote this I was genuinely like Tim, that is fascinating That is such a (laughs) far-reaching, fascinating sentence Yeah
2: yeah, and, and and obviously, like, the impact that Star Wars has had has been, like, monstrous. So it's hard to kind of spin out every single thing that would be impacted, um, but I shall have an attempt at some of the major ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, obviously, he's still making a big space film, but he's making Flash Gordon, which was... You know, an established franchise, or at least uh, something that people were aware of, you know, it, it went on to have its own um, feature film adaptation uh, in, in a few years later. Um, but I think it does really kind of reshape how that plays out, because I think that part of the appeal of Star Wars is that it is this... Unique thing, it's an entirely fresh idea, and yet it's absolutely huge in its mythology. Um, this is kind of speaking at the time, obviously it's not so fresh now. Um,
1: yeah.
2: but uh, you know, in 1977 it was something brand new. And if it's Flash Gordon instead, then suddenly it is playing on nostalgia in a way that Star Wars never did. You know, Star Wars, even though it's said in the past, and you know the the plot structure is is more fairy tale than sci-fi there is a it's futuristic you know and you're talking about uh, a time especially in american culture where you know going you know space travel is still you know you're only 8 years out from having first landed on the moon kind of stuff um so to change that up and be more heavily leaning on nostalgia Um, And perhaps even pitching a little bit older, because you're potentially trying to appeal to the people who grew up with Flash Gordon in the 30s and 40s. You know, there's a reason that George Lucas wanted to remake it, because he remembered it from when he was a kid. And so, you know, my argument would be that Flash Gordon doesn't hit as big as Star Wars did. It doesn't capture the public's imagination, and it doesn't capture especially children's imagination on the same level. Um and if Star Wars just is or if, if you know if Flash Gordon is just a decent adventure film rather than this game-changing blockbuster, you suddenly change the whole of the late 70s and the early 80s because you don't have that same blockbuster period necessarily um you know it's been starting to move towards that with stuff like jaws but you know that's been kind of fighting against the the kind of the new hollywood the the 70s independent wave that had been Mm. established and so the question becomes you know does that does that then mean that that struggle continues rather than you know once star wars hit that kind of uh you know you had George Lucas, who had been making these, you know, small independent dramas and and quite cerebral sci-fi before that. Mm. You know, his biggest film before that was American Graffiti. Yeah. Um, and you have, you know, Spielberg suddenly goes from being uh a a sort of a genre filmmaker with some who's had some fairly big hits to someone, you know, him and Lucas become this kind of uh pair of gargantuan figures so you know <laughs> no, sta- no Star Wars maybe Spielberg stays a little bit smaller for a little bit longer he's still yeah. doing stuff Ooh, you know yeah. close encounters and those kind of things rather than really like ramping up Um, obviously one of the big impacts this uh, Flash Gordon would have been George Lucas scratching his nostalgia itch so does that mean no Indiana Jones anymore? He's already done his kind of serial adventure film um, that has captured these films of his youth. So he probably doesn't feel the same need. Or if he does, it's 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 a much lesser priority. We talk about the transformative effect of Star Wars. Obviously, it created ILM, essentially. Mm, <laughs> it created yeah. special effects as we think of them now. Um, that would... Almost certainly still happen because George Lucas is going. To, George Lucas, he's mm. going to try and innovate his special effects. <laughs> Lucas um,
0: is going to Lucas.
2: But you know, if, if he doesn't have that that push of, in, you know, if Fox doesn't suddenly see, okay, like you know, we've got this huge franchise now, let's push a load of money into it. ILM is probably slower in taking off. It probably doesn't act on the same scale because it hasn't got the money from the Star Wars uh sequels coming in it's you know it's dealing with less affair
1: yeah
2: um and obviously star wars is a franchise that doesn't just exist in the cinema the another thing that star wars did it had the action figure boom um it kind of it kind of triggered that period of the 80s into the 90s where toy sales were absolutely fundamental to how films were marketed you know and i can remember you know in in the sort of mid 90s where you would get action figures for the weirdest fucking films <laughs> you know you'd get your you'd get your robin hood prince of thieves yeah. action figure set and that is not in any way particularly a kids film
1: well, but i had robin loxley uh, action yeah. figure
2: <laughs> yeah there, there was a certain expectation that you know, oh, if you're making a film of a certain scale, like there's probably going to be action figures for it. So that, without Star Wars, does not happen. And you also probably don't get franchises like Transformers, GI Joe, Ninja Turtles Jesus being Christ, as damn. big because you wouldn't, uh, there wouldn't be that association between action figures and media franchises. And as much as oh, films don't necessarily need to have action figures. You would yeah. also, you'd get the, the transitive property of action figures don't necessarily need films or TV series to sell them. So Star Wars kicks off a huge interest in space as well. Uh, uh, you know, obviously there's the a general cultural interest in space, but in cinema, you get so many imitators of Star uh, Star Wars coming afterwards. Um so without it, with, you know, assuming, you know, this kind of smaller Flash Gordon thing that isn't quite the same cultural wave, uh, one improvement, no moonbreaker.
1: <laughs> Uh
2: Which was Jeez. pretty transparently an attempt to go,
1: how do we get Bond to do Star Wars? <laughs> um, Lazily as well, because they don't have have a lot of space stuff until right at the end, because they don't the money yeah. for it,
2: even it's Bond. Um you also probably don't get the Star Trek uh, films. That is correct. Because those, Ooh. those Matt, were now Matt's angry. Yeah, that yeah. was Paramount go looking around and going, oh, space is big. What have we got that's that's big in space? Oh, there's that old TV show that got cancelled after three seasons and yeah. then got, it's a got the word Star in it. it.
0: Right, we we can confuse enough people that it's <laughs> the same thing. It's fine.
2: Yeah, and with no Star Trek movies to. Uh, you know, boy people's interest in the franchise, uh, that means no Next Generation, no mm-hmm. DS9, no Voyager either. Yep.
0: Oh, no Enterprise. God, we could live in a world without <laughs> Enterprise. <laughs> a boy can dream.
2: And I was looking at the, the the films that kind of came out in, you know, just after Star Wars as well, because, you know, as much as it is is easy to say kind of like, oh, no Star Wars, no blockbusters, but obviously there was a... uh
1: it's a cultural of, need for it almost.
2: There was a cultural need; that, that it was something that people were interested in. Something you know, to filled that, that gap in, eventually. Exactly. Yeah. In terms of you know just like demographics, you know who's got you know money, sort of generational type stuff. At that that point, there was you know the world was ready for a blockbuster, and 1978 we get Richard Donner's Superman, mm. which is a big hit. I think it's the second biggest movie of that year. Yeah. But in the absence of star wars not having hit quite as big perhaps that fills that void perhaps that becomes the thing that really captures people's interest and makes massive bank and then we potentially have an earlier superhero boom
1: it is the idea of the the nostalgia thing like star wars doing the fairy tale thing so it's familiar to older and younger generations but also it's kids going Seeing a man fly. It's the, it's all the cool stuff you can do with it. And again, yeah. if it's a huge, huge success, Donna's initial vision for Superman 2 as well, rather than being shelved and eventually the Donna cut coming out later, I assume it carries on being good, basically.
2: Yeah. Um and
0: which might fix another sequelizer's episodes with Superman 4 and Superman <laughs> going forward as well. So yeah.
2: And of course, you know, the the we've kind of this, this is all sort of predicated on the idea that Flash Gordon wouldn't be as big a hit as Star Wars true, true um but potentially you know if it if it is um or if it if it does still kind of hit big and and have a substantial influence on culture then it's possible that 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 kind of nostalgic uh throwback to the you know serial cinema would, take off as well. And you know, in the same way that we had after Batman 89, they made the extremely odd decision of rather than oh people really like superhero films, they went, ah, oh, people really like kind of pulp heroes. Yeah. Uh and you got the shadow <laughs> and the phantom and Dick Tracy. You know, potentially if if Flash Gordon is a big hit, you maybe get those yeah. in yeah the late 70s, early 80s rather than yeah. You know, sort of early 90s instead. um. So those were just kind of a few of the ideas. of You know, obviously, it would, it would taking out Star Wars and replacing it with something lesser is such a, a huge cultural chasm. I mm. didn't know if you guys had any more ideas about oh, you know, God, things yeah. that you
1: think. You've nailed it on the head to start with, Tim. The idea of Hollywood seeing the shifting sand, as it were, and desperately playing catch-up, That's not just Hollywood, that's around the world. Everyone tried to emulate the same thing with their own different industries. The independent mindset of the 70s with things like Coppola and De Palma and Scorsese, do we see, rather than a blockbuster thing, all the money being funneled into huge uh, spooling dramas, crime dramas especially, Um, obviously with things like, I'm gonna make something very weird off on my own because I'm I'm an artist kind of filmmaking. Does that continue? Does that heighten? Um Spielberg's space stuff doesn't happen in terms of like obviously as you say, like I've been Indiana Jones, E.T., for example, one of the biggest films of all time, kind of thing. Um, it, it it's it's and it, even the not even the simple sense of um the direct impact, it's as we said with the with the River Phoenix stuff, it's the influence impact. The only reason allegedly James Cameron got into film is because he saw Star Wars.
0: Yeah, is there much more of an influential series in the last sort of 40 years than Star Wars? Like, mm. the amount of filmmakers and writers <laughs> and directors that have been influenced by that is innumerable. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the the influence there we talked about, for Phoenix being like, oh, a few actors and a few directors might have been influenced. Like, this is industry-changing influence we're talking about. Yeah,
1: right? yeah. Also, just from a very sort of almost slightly microcosm, You can kind of just hoof Harrison Ford out of the way then. I mean, I assume he might have been cast as Flash Gordon, um, (laughs) but is his career... like? Oh, here we go. He's Han Solo and he's fucking Indiana Jones. That's him like just defining everyone, saying, oh, it's Harrison fucking Ford. Does he still become a thing or does he go back to being a carpenter? I mean, a couple of other people whose careers were obviously defined by that. The other two leads, Mark
0: Hamill and, sure, he's had influence and... He's Mm -hmm. done a few roles over the years and been a very influential kind of lead in Star Wars, but that's what he's kind of most known for. What I'm more interested in talking about is Carrie Fisher and where or how she would have gone because, as we have talked about on this show before and what some listeners may not know and what I didn't really know until years and years later... yeah is that she is such a key figure in being a script doctor in so many films that were shit until she stepped in, basically, and was like, hey, by the way, here's why this is bad. Redo this, give me that bit of the script, I'll rewrite this for you. And she has kind of very sneakily been incredibly important and influential in Hollywood. Mm. And a lot of people don't really realise that. And like I said, I didn't realise it until I was fairly recent. So where does that leave Carrie Fisher? Does she just become a writer? In, in a different way and she never gets that huge breakout role that Princess Leia was for her. does she go off and start making her own movies well,
2: yeah she essentially learnt that on you know this, and this is kind of you know oh she you know she's Debbie Reynolds' daughter she probably would have had some form of career and and been exposed course, to this yeah. at, at some point but but she there's a there's a quote from her saying or oh, doing rehearsals with Mark Hamill and with Harrison Ford and they'd be sitting there crossing out lines, going, no, I don't like that, I'm going to say something different. And she, as quite a young actress at the time, didn't have that confidence to be just like, no, fuck this, this, this is written stupidly, I'm going to rewrite it. <laughs> and, you know, that that kind of, in a way, sparked that that ability in her to yeah. go, to be able to take a look at a script and go like, ah, well, this fucking needs to change, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's possible. Maybe that she that never takes... would have
0: gone that direction. Yeah, she would have just been an actress. Yeah. You're on the other way, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. You know, that you look at the careers of the people involved, you look at the, the influence like you said, it's had, you know, throughout the years. What what are they gonna talk about in clerks with no star wars? <laughs> just Jaws.
1: Salsa yeah. Shark. <laughs> 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 um no the the, the impact is, is 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 huge. Um also because of like companies like Marvel, um, I don't know. I can't remember when exactly when they got the rights to the Star Wars comics. But again, without those, do their sales reflect what they would do? Obviously, if there's a boom on comics, does the comic industry, did Marvel not go bankrupt in the first place, and then have to sell half of the things to like so many people? It just the impact is is so huge. It it is literally like saying, what happens if uh, if Hitler wasn't never born? And you're like, well, there'd still be a war because a war is always coming, but it just wouldn't be who you think it's with. And then the fallout of that and that and that and that. It's like, well, hang on, if we're not rushing to the end, is there an atomic bomb? That kind of thing. It's such a fascinating look. And again, if we are looking backward rather than arguably looking forward technologically or otherwise, do you see a resurgence of of Westerns? Does it go back further? Does it keep going back? What, what's the What's the impact? That's interesting, yeah. It is a fascinating fascinating question i mean again there's no definitive answer there'll be a lot of uh, it's the internet everyone thinks they have a definitive answer obviously um, <laughs> but um the truth That's is why we make podcasts right guys? yeah yeah precisely but you can you can never really tell you gen- genuinely don't know the impact because even simple things like um like an anime that i might like or the way a certain thing is shot might not have come about from from that i mean for example, there's no Jurassic Park because um, of the you have to have all the foundation layers of visual effects to build on to get to the point where you get to that. John fucking Williams is his career yeah. as big <laughs> as it is? Is he's like you know the granddad of fucking Western scoring of cinema? Does again everybody talks about John Williams scores quite iconic in the same way that Hans Zimmer shaped a lot of the early two thousands how their scores have gone? Does every, is everyone trying to play catch up to to emulate that? um sc- uh, obviously George Lucas had a good friendship with with Coppola and other people who ended up and and Spielberg helping fund a lot of K- K- um Akira Kurosawa films like Kagemusha and stuff like that and ran does that happen does that not happen does because there's a whole thing where um Ooh, Kurosawa yeah. made some films that weren't successful and then he tried to kill himself um then he got help from the kids who became these amazing you know huge western directors and they were like, oh, no, no, no. We learnt it all from him. Like, what do you mean? The films we're making, they're just Kurosawa. I was like, oh, what? And you said, like, um, all, all the various influences and things. Does that mean, then, that Japanese cinema isn't recognised as such? Does this mean that everybody isn't rushing to catch up and make their own thing? All, all, all these questions happen. I mean, again, Alien. Does Alien happen? Because, effectively mm. speaking, Alien is, again, the idea of, like, well, we've got to do a space thing. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, there's there's a reason it was originally going to be called Star Beast.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, Star Beast. The, fucking hell! The the terrible, terrible title of Star Beast. Oh, um,
0: can you imagine? We'll be Star Beast, and then Star Beasts, and then Star Beast Three, <laughs> Star Beast Resurrection. Jesus.
1: Star Beast versus Lipless Man. Um, Star Beast, Star Beast Covenant, and then finally, <laughs> Prometheus is still Prometheus. That happens because. It's the constant <laughs> of the universe that everything comes back to for some reason. In all our universe <laughs> predictions, Prometheus still exists for some reason. Don't know why. Yeah. It just is. <laughs> Fuck. Fucking Prometheus. God it's a it.
2: multiversal multiversal
1: linchpin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it is a constant throughout the universe. It is, it is a constant in all timelines. It is a fascinating idea. Um, and because Star Wars if you want to say what what may, what one film has shaped the last fifty years of cinema, it has to be Star Wars. You can always say, oh, well, you know, The the Godfather was really impactful. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, sure, sure. I get what you're saying. It's say, like, well, obviously, you know, Indiana Jones, huge. No, no, yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. Oh, what about this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear it all, but Star Wars. And also I can say Star that War. anywhere in the world <laughs> and everyone knows what I'm talking about. And it's made, it's some of the most successful stuff ever. So, yeah, Star Wars.
0: Does it shape Disney going forward as well? Like, you you kind of touched upon it earlier, Tim. Like, is yeah. there. Them not acquiring Lucasfilm and that way, and Lucasfilm not being the thing that it was or is at the time, like you know, does that then affect how they approach Marvel and does
1: the Marvel Cinematic Universe exist in the same way or at all because of how? I'd say probably not. If there's if there's comic comic surges earlier, then yeah, Disney unless Disney buy it sooner.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm more like
1: that.
0: The larger concept of like cinematic universes and the Star Wars expanded universe and all that kind of stuff kind of very much paved the way for, you know, the way that they approach that and the, the way comics had built that universe around it, and then Star Wars is then influenced by the comics that came before it, and then then pays it back into the cinematic style of things. Would the MCU exist as a cinematic universe? Would they try and do something completely different? Would mm. like. Blade have kicked it off, or like <laughs> Corman's Fantastic Four, or something like that. It'd be like that's mm. the start of this this thing, and try and do it, and it, and it just fails, and then it never happens, and mm. we never get Downey Junior as Iron Man, and we never get all this, you know, twists and turns that we've had over the last twelve years.
2: I mean, it it would be a fascinating like just looking at the kind of relationship between Star Wars and Disney at the time, because. Mm. No Star Wars, there's de- there's definitely a couple of Disney films that don't get made. For uh, the black hole is the most immediate yes. um, uh, one that was there's quite clearly them trying to cash in on Star Wars. Uh Tron is probably the same. Yeah. Um yeah. doesn't get made. This is another
0: sequelizers episode. <laughs>
2: yeah. Add, it to, add um, it to the fucking list. And and then the question becomes: you know, if if there isn't Star Wars gobbling up kids' money for that period, mm. Does it mean that <laughs> the Disney films are of that time are more successful because you're heading into kind of a, this Disney wasteland of you know yeah the Black Cauldron and the Great Mouse Detective and stuff um, you know uh, some of which are seen as you know pretty good now but you know it it, it you, it's a generally accepted kind of fallow period for Disney um, the,
1: the Rescuers Cinematic Universe <laughs>
2: yeah Um, <Get> hell <laughs> you know we might we might have the Disney Renaissance you know, a few years earlier. Yeah. Which means it might also burn out a few years earlier. And, you know, they don't have the money to invest in Pixar. You know, there's yeah, there's all these yeah. kind of Fucking things out. that that, oh. that become, you know, unpicked by by looking at these these consequences. You know, which is what makes this kind of thing so fun. Yeah. Um and obviously, you know, yeah, like we said with Star Wars, the impact is gonna be huge because it's such a mainstay of pop culture. Mm
1: yeah I think equally there's obviously video games is a thing we can delve into as well, but if you just take for just just Britain, for example, I mean people the reason people know Tunisia usually is because it's fucking tatooine um <laughs> <laughs> the whole Tunisian tourist <laughs> scene just disappears overnight. I mean, who knows it might destabilize the region, no one fucking knows what's going on, but equally Britain
0: <laughs> getting rid of Star Wars creates a war in the Middle East that we didn't even know existed. <laughs>
1: Feasibly. Oh yeah, you never know. Um, probably out. not, but yeah. Um, it's interesting because uh, Boreham Wood and um, Leavesden and that whole area just north of London uh, in Hertfordshire, it's, you know, the studios where they shot Star Wars and obviously they were shooting Bond and other things and, like that, and it's, it's still a big studio and it's still around and stuff. But if you don't have the film, I mean, one of the things about Star Wars, especially in the thing Americans always tend to point out, is like, why in the early Star Wars films are they all British? I don't get it. For us it's not unusual It's like, oh yeah, British people, of course they are <laughs> Why wouldn't they be? But for an American, it's like, I don't understand why It's like, because they were filming fucking in Britain That's why Yeah.
2: <laughs> and they wanted them to sound like Nazis <laughs> Yeah, exactly And ger- and, g- and Germans means English in the film industry <laughs> They're evil and
1: imperial Therefore, yeah. British <laughs> yeah, Precisely And the key thing then is Does the whole British film industry shift and change because of that? Yeah, does Pinewood exist as we know it? Yeah Nowadays, yeah. One would argue, yes, of course, it would in Street and all that sort of things, but like, yeah, but it's you can't just say eh, it will balance out. It's like I don't know if it would. <laughs> I think it would genuinely be just, just a hugely different landscape. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one you can talk about genuinely for hours and mm. still go, oh my god, what about Jim Carrey? It's like what the fuck about Jim Carrey? Who cares about Jim Carrey? <laughs> but you can you eventually can you know you, people can thread it back because let's face it, over the last 50 years, no matter how much of a rock you've been living under, if I say Star Wars to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You may never have seen one, but you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Mm.
2: And that's that's without even starting to try and think about, okay, what does a George Lucas 1977 Flash Gordon look like? Who are the stars oh God, of yeah, that? Yeah. Does, that you know, does that elevate different people to, you know, yeah. he said, oh, you know, maybe you get Harrison Ford as Flash Gordon. But, you know, maybe you get some actor that we've never heard of because they wanted someone blonde, yeah, you know, yeah, and precisely. suddenly, you know. But anyway, we so Jack and I have both dealt with people with with kind of fairly uh, uh, long ago. Uh, I, I mean, it's. The '90s is not that long ago,
1: but you know, no, it is. It is
2: unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, you know, we we like to pretend it wasn't. Yes, was uh, ten years ago. Ten years ago, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, uh, Matt, you've gone for something a little bit more recent.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Why don't you walk us through
1: it? I will. I will. So, um, I was just before we started rolling on this one, I was looking over the ideas, and I was like, "You guys have got such really interesting stuff. Mine's going to sell fucking vanilla by comparison." But unfortunately, as much as it's vanilla, it really needs to be discussed, because if we're talking about...
0: And it was the first one I thought of, I'm not going to lie, when this topic came up. Yeah. Oh, that's the obvious one. I went and looked at the show notes, and Matt was like, typing it in front of me, (laughs) and I was like, (laughs) motherfucker.
1: My question is... Okay, actually, the, the actual question is: What happens if the 2007 writer's strike doesn't happen? That's the actual question because everything else kind of. Well, yeah, in. I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah.
2: I was going to bring that up because mm. that is the reason that this arguably yeah. the reason this didn't happen.
1: Yeah, there are there are two major major uh, things. Actually, they're quite quite arguably small, and one is uh, the writer strike, and one is the Australian Film Commission. But we'll get back to that in a second. So I'm going to say a little bit of history and then a little bit of a what-if. Oh, let's get this out of the way for stars. I am neither being pro or anti Marvel or DC, but we're going to discuss Uh-oh. both. Um, so here we go. The history of DC... <laughs> it always starts like that, and then by the end we're carrying knives. <laughs> That's... I mean, I'm always carrying a knife, just in case. So, the the history of DC cinema is... Fairly boring, but also it was the one that was pushing everything forward. Superman, 89 Batman, then it kind of ruined itself. And (laughs) what came back in the early 2000s was X-Men and Spider-Man and everyone wanted Marvel. Nobody cared about DC. Um, And there were obviously bits and pieces, and I'm I'm gliding over a lot of things here. And then the uh, Batman Begins came out. And this is the key thing. Batman Begins and Superman Returns. Superman Returns didn't do well. It's fine, but it didn't do well. Batman Begins does surprisingly well and the Dark Knight starts production. However, Warner Brothers, and I've said this myself, Warner Brothers have always been appearing to play catch up with Marvel and the MCU and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, why don't you just take their successful model and do that? And for whatever reason, they can't or won't, whatever happens. And we get to the weird period we are now where you've got like really fucking great, fun films like Birds of Prey and Shazam and Aquaman and really good stuff that is kind of linked and not linked to Justice League and Man of Steel. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And we've got the announcement today about they've pushed back all the stuff. So, uh, you've got the next few things being the, the other Suicide Squads film. Um, and, The Batman, and it's just such a weird one to get your head around, as well as the TV stuff going at the same time, which is also quite successful. So, my question or my statement is: If the 2007 writer strike never happened, Justice League Mortal is made and released in the summer of 2008. Now, of the two properties, uh, Dark Knight, yes. Fantastic, big film, huge success, and amazing film. We're all—it's got its issues, but still, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, we're we're all aware of it. We're all aware of it. That's all right. Yeah. It's also the year that um, uh, that Iron Man comes out, and in the summer as well. But Iron Man was a risk, and it's a very good film. Dark Knight is a great sequel, but this is the entire Justice League, helmed by George Miller, and George Miller is the director of. Happy feet. <laughs> no, um, I mean he is, but um... his
0: work on his seminal work on the penguin movie, Mad Max:
1: Fury Road, <laughs> and Babe. Um, no, he's he's known for Mad Max very famously and things like that. What a a weird film.
0: fucking career? Can we just talk about George Miller for a second? Just <laughs> the weirdest, most fucking. Oh, I better make something for my kids because I've just spent the last twenty years making Mad Max films
1: Yeah, and make them good okay, as well, that'll... which is nice.
0: I guess I'm gonna make Babe and Happy Feet. Oh, and then I'll go back to Mad Max. What the fuck, George? Jesus yep. Christ!
1: I'm gonna make a Mad Max film that gets nominated for multiple Oscars. I mean, that's that's insane.
0: <laughs> that sentence doesn't make sense, but yeah, it makes it's, all the it's, sense it's, in the world.
1: It's bizarre, and it him also being, I mean, at that time in 2000, let's say 2007, of the filming sort of time. Um, where he would have been like, he would have been like sixty-two or something like that at the time, and it's it's like oh we're going to put the entire you know this this huge major tentpole um, superhero film with this sixty-year-old director. It's it's not like a, an un, an ageist thing to say, but it's a very unusual thing to even suggest. Anyway, so in history, Warner Brothers, as much as I said about them playing catch up with um, with the MCU and Marvel and such had the idea to start with the big justice league film and then spin off into a shared universe of individual movies and at that point that was kind of unheard of iron man was a thing feige been trying this for so goddamn long and that you know the, because the iron man was the success it was and they filmed that extra little bit at the end for the incredible hulk which you know didn't make any sense now <laughs> and then you get the extra little bits going on and on and on and then Post-credit teases and it builds and snowballs. But if you look at the trajectory of the career success of Iron Man and Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2 and Thor, it's slow burn because no one else is doing much except Batman is big. And because it's Nolan, Batman is big and slow. And Superman, eh, Superman Returns didn't do great. George Miller was working on a a really, really interesting slash fucking bizarre Justice League film. (laughs) He was taking influence from two separate comic runs, which are so big in of their own right. One is Geoff John's Infinite Crisis. I am not going to try and describe Infinite Crisis, <laughs> but it had a lot of major impact. Things where characters die, came back and lots of multiverse sort of things and people getting powers and attacking people. It was just huge, huge world changing stuff and a very strange one to start a universe with. But yeah. It also had Mark Waid's Tower of Babel, which is a fascinating one. That really explores the idea of what Batman is to the Justice League. And uh, a major comic running sort of thing is that Batman has these boxes, or at least he has these ideas of he needs to know how to defeat his friends, because he's that kind of dick. Um, <laughs> and it's like, OK, well, I've got Superman as my ally and friend, and Wonder Woman's my ally and friend, and the Flash and Green Lantern and Aquaman. Yeah, great what happens if they turn on me or I need to put them down? It's like, what are you talking about? What happens if I need to put them down? It's like, okay, okay. Um, well, I guess we just deal with it as friends with the conversation. Fuck that shit. I've got a box of fucking red kryptonite. And it's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, keep it in the back. And it, and eventually Ra's al Ghul finds it, unleashes it. And, and the justly basically say to the Batman, what the fuck is wrong with you? And, and he's a <laughs> you know it highlights that he is a sinister paranoid really weird person it's a great character study also a really interesting starting point for your tale of this group coming together
2: it's i mean it's a, a really good if if your model is going to be we're going to do a film with all of them and then we're going to do spin-off films it's a really good way of fracturing the group a little bit mm. so that you mm. then you then don't have to answer the question of like why aren't, why isn't wonder woman coming in to save you know cyborg at this point it's like cuz they're pissed off with each other that's why
1: yeah and it's it 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 would be so different to what we would expect. Unlike the the Marvel one, where you've had the slow snowballing of coming together as a group and then fracturing, which is you know and an, a classic narrative. This one is an established group, lots of things going on, and then have to heal over a long period of time. So the script initially was a very Watchmen style thing, which starts with a funeral of a uh, of a league member, if I remember correctly. Um, and then it's told in flashback of what's happening and all these things. And it turns out that the two bad guys are Talia Al Ghul and Maxwell Lord. Um, and the casting is so interesting and so weird. The casting Maxwell is Lord Was going to be played by Jay Baruchel, and it's like <laughs> that's what? that's so cool because he's so great and so weird because it makes almost no sense. Um,
2: and, and we should we should touch on who Maxwell Lord is oh, for people please, who please, are yeah. DC readers. Who and so I, th- I mean, my explanation might be off here. He's because I'm more of a Marvel person than DC. Sure. He's basically he was sort of like the Justice League's sort of like uh, liaison slash publicist almost for a while. Is that is that right? in saying yeah, man. And then he became it. a sort of CIA-ish type figure.
1: Yeah, he, Lord is a weird one because. Again, it's the classic thing about comics where there's so much history behind it and it keeps evolving and changing. So you end up saying, like, wait, isn't that person a bad guy? Well, they were, but now they're a good guy and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, but yes, initially, um, he's he's like a he was always like a, you know, a businessman sort of character and very influential in the formation of I wanna say Justice League International or what I don't know. Mm. Yeah. There's lots of impact and all that sort of things, and he plays a lot of uh, uh he he also plays into Wonder Woman's story quite a lot because I think in I want to say it's Infinite Crisis where he she snaps his yeah, neck yeah she
2: she she kills him there he uh, and neck, he, yeah. will...
1: he
0: will also show up in Wonder Woman 1984 played by Pedro Pascal so correct listeners will be introduced to him on the big screen fairly soon funnily enough yeah and it's interesting Although at
1: the moment who knows the hill when oh god yeah exactly
0: yeah locked fairly soon being
1: in the next two years maybe. <laughs> This decade that's just started, um, sure. But it is interesting because in the in the script version, Maxwell Lord is killed by Batman, and Batman doesn't kill. And so it's again this really awkward, uncomfortable end to this film, and it's, it's it's fascinating as a story. Um, so just some some casting notes: Superman being oh, the key thing is well, because of this nature of a spinned out shared universe, rather than the you know, uh, late forties Robert Downey Jr. They were launching this with younger actors Because they wanted this to last A long time And not everybody was cast at this point because of multiple reasons But they had DJ uh, Katrona as uh, Superman I think we are going to say DJ Khaled for a second <laughs> <laughs> Another one um, No A very fat Middle Eastern Clark Kent For some reason <laughs> um, And he was mostly known I, I don't actually know what he'd be known for at this point Other than maybe a small role in, like, in G.I. Joe 2 and he, uh, He's and in Dawn Shazam time. Wait, what? Is he?
0: <laughs> yes, he's the grown up brother Like the 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 Dweeby brother when they get the powers and the Oh, spoilers of course for he is yeah, the, yeah. the family will yep, get the sorry, powers yes. yeah. he, Shaz- Shazam the has
1: t- has Two Justice League Mortal uh, Cast members Of course he does, it. yeah oh, I've got, I've got, I think it's because It's the name, I'm like I think I know this guy Yeah, that makes complete sense Batman was going to be Army Hammer and I find that fascinating because I like Army Hammer a lot and I think he's quite interesting um, There was going to be, the role of Wonder Woman was a lot of people up for Wonder Woman and it eventually was going to go to Megan Gale who is an Australian model and things like that so especially there are a few images and there's one single blurry ass image you can find online of the whole group lined up um, and as I say they had, they had they had two flashes in there they had Barry Allen and they had Wally West um, and they had... I love how deep they're going straight away. Just from film one, just like, fuck it's it, there's so two flashes. Crazy. Who cares? Yeah. And they had <laughs> Aquaman, they had yet to cast at that point. They had Common as uh, John Stewart Green Lantern, which is fucking great. Oh, yeah. My favourite
0: Green Lantern. Bring it on. I'd love to see Common as John Stewart. And know,
1: like. there's a thing where they say, you know, the, the, the idea of rumoured role, but it's like, it's most definitely going to be Martian Manhunter. Hugh Keysburn, who played uh, Immortan Joe in... in, in um, uh, Fury Road And he's just A really burly dude He was the There's toe the cutter to in... George
0: Miller Everybody
1: <laughs> Yeah Exactly And he played toe cutter In, in the um, In the original Mad Max And stuff he's, he's a great actor And things like that But the key point here Is that The casting is so Interesting Because ultimately It made sense It was young actors Who could do a good job And so on and so forth It was
2: a really interesting mix Of like There was There are some Basic unknowns In there Yes um, Like um, uh, Megan Gale like hasn't really been like she shows up in Fury Road, um, playing I forget the name of the character but she's like the the, the person who um, meets with Furiosa yes, when they're yeah. out looking for the Green Place. That's right. Um, you know, and she she hasn't really done anything else, and you know, like yeah. we said, DJ, uh, um, DJ Corona, no, <laughs> Katrona DJ and
0: <laughs> <Corona>. um, <laughs> That was a Freudian slip and a half.
2: Yeah, uh, DJ Catrona. He like hasn't done a huge amount of other things, and mm-hmm. then you've got um, Adam Brody as Barry Allen. Um, yeah, who you know had been in the OC and had done some small film stuff. But you know, like, I definitely it, what's it, what's it read game? that as Adrian Brody the first time I saw it written. <laughs> now I was like, oh,
0: that's interesting choice. <laughs> that. oh, oh, that guy. Right, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah.
2: And it does. It makes so much like, you know. I know the reason that uh they didn't pick John Stewart for the Green Lantern film. Cough racism. Off. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, given the 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 Justice League Unlimited cartoon that had been out, you know, oh, in the, the kind oh, of the two thousands, which is mm-hmm. the best. Uh, it, personally, I think it's better than the DC comics. I think it's my I, favorite DC I, universe. I um, agree. I agree and, wholeheartedly. And one of the reasons that the Green Lantern film wasn't a success is because there were a bunch of people who were like, "Who is this person being Green Lantern? Green Lantern's black."
1: Um, <laughs> that's what I said. When I first got into Green Lantern in the early two thousands, um, I was like, "I don't get it. He's black." It's like, "Oh, it's no. There's multiples." And have different reasons. like, "Oh, this guy's a twat." And again, I I I gen, I wear a Green Lantern ring. I love Green Lantern as a comic. It's one of my favourite comics. Daredevil's my favourite character. Green Lantern's my favorite comic because I love the, the fantastical colour and that what John's did with it. But ugh, Hal Jordan is the most boring choice. Oh, uh, Hal Jordan could fuck right off. <laughs> Hal Jordan is the worst. Yeah. I mean, there's so many interesting lantern characters, both on Earth and otherwise, that you don't need Hal ever. Um so going straight with John Stewart, brilliant. And common? I mean, in Like Smoke and Aces and stuff like that And other roles he's been in. He's He's quite formidable I was like, He's a pretty decent actor I think he'd be really I, I've seen him be really good at stuff Yeah
0: I he's like been, Common a lot Yeah yeah. yeah. Common as Jon Stewart Sign me the fuck up
1: Yeah So this thing was bubbling away And uh, all these things were happening About this film being produced And I think the film's going to end with Not only that they like, like Maxwell Lord And Taylor Al Ghul And Batman basically being a villain I think that the end of the thing Was supposed to be They fight Starro as well It's It's just so... Huge. Well it,
0: it, that, that's the that's the post-credits thing, I think, isn't it? Yeah. The, it? The script ends with them like the Justice Legal return in the battle with Starro the Conqueror or something like that, I think yeah. remember.
1: Exactly. And so there's so many things they could have lined up for it. And again, we say that the the one of the reasons that like people dropped off and there were delays was partly because A, the 2007 Biot Strike happened. Only a like a handful of months, but it put it off enough that it was a problem. Then the entire film was supposed to be filmed in Australia. And. Um, Hello, George Miller. Yeah, yeah. And George Miller very famously said this was the biggest mistake they'd made because um, I think it's like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity for Australia. And because of a very lazy or stupid decision, they've thrown away hundreds of millions of dollars in investment because they couldn't just see past. And they said the, the argument from the Australian Film Commission. They weren't happy because there weren't enough Australian actors. And he was like, I made Wonder Woman and Martian Man, and, her, and I think he had another one lined up. I think it might have been someone from the Aquaman. Us Australian. What the fuck do you want? It's an American-funded film. I'm trying. And think, and he said the entire, and this is the key point as well, all of the crew were Australian. So it's like, it's literally an Australian film shot in Australia. It could have, I'm not saying it would have done the, the whole New Zealand thing that uh, that Peter Jackson did, especially considering that's quite controversial at the minute, but we'll get back to that in another day. But it's it, it caused another delay, and all these delays meant certain people couldn't be involved. So for example, Jay Baruchel's script stuff, uh, sorry, availability fell away, because he starts going into things like Tropic Thunder, and then eventually goes on to other stuff. So he becomes too busy. The schedules just don't align. Everyone else works on other things they can't you know, align with the project. It gets in a bit of development hell. And then finally, at the point where they start thinking about Potentially filming this thing and getting it done properly, the Dark Knight comes out and it's huge, and Superman isn't Superman Returns. That is, so suddenly Warner Brothers is like, well, maybe we should just do individual films, and they scrap all of the Justice League mortal stuff, and say we're going to focus on a Green Lantern movie and Man of Steel and stuff. And Green Lantern is dog shit and a disaster from the start. Man of Steel is part helmed by Christopher Nolan, which shapes how that's gone, and obviously the nature of Snyder coming on. All this stuff comes out of place, and it just spirals and spins, and all the while the Marvel Cinematic Universe is building and building and reshaping cinema. So, just to very briefly talk about Miller's direction and things like that. He had this whole thing where he was playing mind games with the cast, and it's, it's, it's to be fair, I get it. I fuck with some of my cast. It's it's not cool, but I do it. <laughs> um Ryan Livermore. Uh Ryan's great, Ryan's in a lot of stuff that we've done. He's in some of the short films I've done. He's done he's in the uh, um uh, the web series we're doing and things like that. And I put him through hell on one of the short films I did called Mireno, uh, which is a conquistador film. He was very, very unhappy. Um, him and Eli Silverman, um, from the cheap show. I made them walk into fields of nettles in the fucking rain, and they were miserable because I wanted it that way. And the performances are fucking great. I think they do amazingly in that, in my little short, as it were. Now coming to festivals when, you know, COVID-19 fucks right off. But the point is, Miller had a sort of similar mindset. He was like, right, you need to know how to do things. So he talked about what the core of the character was because they'd be those characters for so long. Because it was like, he wanted to make sure they would know who they were as these characters. So some people were like, you need to be physically. And the thing is, whenever Zack Snyder does something, he just says, get hench. That seems to be the thing. Be strong. It's like, well, that's, <laughs> that's not really getting into character, is it? That's just bulking up. It's his answer but to everything. Pretty much. And so he'd have like the guy who's going to play Aquaman go swim with dolphins daily in Northern California to get comfortable with animal, uh, uh, Well, sea animals in general. Um, the guy, um, uh, Brody, I Brody playing the um, the Flash. He wanted him to play with elastic bands, to being twitchy all the time, and being that he would be, you know, hyper fast and things. And the weirdest one is Army Hammer, who he played mind games with because he wanted him to be paranoid all the time. Every time they had a meeting about the characters, (laughs) they'd bring psychologists and psychiatrists in to talk about what these people would be like if they were real. And it's so fascinating. And in the same way, this is two parallels for a second. One, aliens. James Cameron did a very similar thing, which I've always thought was fascinating. When he was doing aliens, he sent the crew... Um, of the Salako off on their own course to become Marines, basically. Why Hicks stands out a little bit because he was a recast at the last minute. Um, uh, Michael Bean wasn't the initial guy playing Hicks. The, the the chemistry between those actors is genuinely really real, and it's it's fantastic and really interesting. But the ones who weren't on those things were uh, Burke, Gorman, and Ripley, the characters they you know, they playing the roles, and it it really feels like it because there's such a rapport between everybody and they stand out and it's not just acting. It's also the idea that these actors are familiar yeah, with each other yeah, of course. and it's really weird. So another sort of subplotting is um, Fury Road. It's important that uh, Tom Hardy has no idea what the fuck is going on. So when he's in the film, he has no <laughs> idea what the fuck is going on. Um, and having the, the the wives as it were, Morten and Joe's wives together, as a knit group, so they have a bit of actual bonding, it's important. These things are, are genuinely bonding for actors. They're things that they can literally physically grind with, but again, that can be twisted too. So we want Army Hammer to be really paranoid all the time about all the cast and everyone around him. We don't want to be comfortable because actors, yes, they act and they're wonderful, but at the same time, sometimes living it is also a different thing. So, fascinating, but weird. So, here's the question. 2008 summer um iron man comes out it's pretty good people go oh that's pretty good oh nick fury turns up at the end that's interesting um a dark knight fantastic sequel uh heath ledger realistically still dies so you know there is the surrounding nature of what it is and there's the idea of um this fantastic follow up really good there's a third batman coming at some point for christopher nolan uh, christian bale isn't happy that there's multiple batmen and multiple things and the audience then has to deal with the idea as well hang on there are two movies from warner brothers and two different batmen and i genuinely think considering how off the wall fucking crazy justice league mortal would have been and how grounded and different dark knight would have been they would have acted as really interesting. Parallels As a sort of uh, Juxtaposing between each other And I think they wouldn't have clashed at all really They would have worked in harmony And then you end up with the idea of Hang on, you either have a universe To spin off, 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 off and off Nolan still makes his other film But ultimately what? Where do you go from this Justice League film? And I have a little map
2: I would say there's a question hanging over If, you, if Justice League Mortal hits And is popular I'd say there is question over whether you get a third Nolan film. Oh, we're because... saved from the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Another. <laughs> Another because I Another think right because... because... so we don't need to do. He didn't. Fantastic. He didn't want to make it. No, he didn't want to make it without uh, a without Heath Ledger and yeah. B. He was just kind of done with Batman. Yeah, and if you've got an alternate Batman out there, you know it. It also means we don't get Inception because that's that's basically how Warner Brothers got him to do mm-hmm. Dark Knight Rises was go we will write a blank check and you can make that weird mind dream film <laughs> yes. uh, that you've been wanting to make for 20 years. Yep. Um, you know, And that way they don't have to write out this check for a film that they don't know is going to be a success. You know, obviously yeah. it was. Um, but I think if you, if you have Mortal Hit,
1: then they probably go like,
2: yeah, fair enough. If you don't want to make it, we've got another
1: Batman. Precisely. I think I think you're entirely correct there, Tim. I think also we have to remember that at this point, Warner Brothers is one of the biggest studios. We talked about like um, when we did our rundown for the year, if you, you all heard that, our, our, our rundown, not only of the year, but the decade, sorry. And we were saying, what were the biggest hits of the year? What we think were the best films and so on and so forth. And after a while, it very quickly becomes Disney, 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 Disney. And they become the powerhouse. For the early two thousands, thanks to Harry Potter and stuff like that, and also like in the way the Batman films, Warner Brothers was the powerhouse. They were the ones punching out these huge films, and Paramount as well with the Transformers to a degree. Now, if Harry Potter continues and closes out, but rather than this floundering, literally pass the baton immediately to the DCU. We call it DCU because it's easier. um, Then effectively, Warner Brothers. Gains more speed, momentum, and power for lack of a better word—for better or worse. So, 2008, Justice League: of comes out, and Dark Knight both released. They do fine. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, let's say for argument's sake, doesn't exist because, Thank God, no one does want to make it, and they don't care, and we're all fine with that. Um, and equally, everyone's like, oh, what if they made a Dark Knight Three? That would be like the that would be what we were questioning in that universe right now. What happens if they made a Dark Knight 3? <laughs> that, that's your mm. one in, this
0: un- in that universe, isn't it? Yeah, what precisely. If Christopher
1: Nolan did make a third Batman film? What would it have been like? What if Christopher Nolan didn't make that weird cats movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, you need a couple of years off to figure out what the fuck you were doing. Because I don't think they'd have had enough time to have something ready right in the can. I think 2010 would have been where it really kicked off. So 2010, to avoid confusion with the Nolan Batman, and to avoid the fact that you don't want to pair up with the Superman Returns nonsense, I don't think they'd have any direct Batman or Superman movies. I think what you get in 2010, as a follow-up to Justice League, almost like the inverted version of Batman v Superman, is World's Finest. Um, which, again, comic people don't know. It's probably is... what Batman v Superman should have been. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely should have been. World's Finest has been a couple of things, but it's most always like a bat person and a super person do adventures, t- adventures together. That's that's pretty much what's always been. Whether it's Huntress and Power Girl, or you know a Robin and a Superboy, it's 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 a it's one of those th- th- those two going off and doing stuff. The boys of the Trinity, basically. Um, and I think the world's finest film then puts the healing together. You start seeing that you know the the affable nature of of Clark Kent and the the still paranoid, incredibly skittish Batman having to work together on something. That could be an interesting film. Fine. Next year, Wonder Woman solo film. So 2011, we've already got the first big female superhero film much earlier. Um, And it's a, you know, I'm I'm assuming all of these have the success and speed of the MCU because the MCU was a success. It's a very strange thing to sort of posit, but it's like, you're like, oh well, no, you can't just transpose one for the other. It's like, yeah, you you kind of can because as far as the general public are concerned, they don't give a shit they don't have the marvel dc valiant idw dark horse fucking loyalty that other comic fans do they just go oh it's a big film and they just go with it
2: i think the thing here is is that it's the reason that the mcu became a success is because it very quickly established itself as incredibly consistent mm. um and the thing that has hampered dc is that it has been inconsistent and you know even even when there are films you know like there are people who fucking love man of steel like yeah but i don't i think you know oh unless, idiots unless, mean. yes <laughs> <laughs> unless you know and and obviously you know everyone's entitled to their own opinion but except for that i who? think i think hopefully people even people who love it can look at it and go well yeah clearly that film wasn't for everyone you know mm. um and the thing is is that marvel as much as it is risk stuff, you know, with, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, you can hold up as one and, you know. Yes. It, it, Iron Man in the first place, you know, was a substantial risk. But, you know, and and this is part of Marvel's problem now is that it plays it safe. Yeah. Like, it makes, film, it, it makes films for everyone, you know, and now that has unfortunately meant that, you know, it's starting to feel in some ways a bit stale mm. um, and it needs some more risk taken, whereas... Warner Brothers seems to be happier for, like you know, especially in this case, like directors to have a unique vision. Mm-hmm. But it means that you have a a universe where people don't know what they're getting, so they can't trust. And I hate that I'm saying this, the brand as much as they do. You know, yes. people generally speaking now know when they go into a Marvel film roughly what they're going to get. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the the fact that. Um, as crazy as he is, <laughs> George Miller had put in this idea of like, you know, you need to <laughs> the actors need to know the characters that they are playing. They yes, need to yes. know who it is because they're gonna be these characters for a while. They need to be grounded in in what these characters mean. That to me suggests, you know, even if he wasn't acting as a as a feige mm. for these films, there would be a consistency that would elevate Obviously, you still have to find good directors, and you have to find good scripts, of course, etc., course. etc. Et but I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that, that that they would take off in the same way that Marvel did, as long as you mm. have that kind of uh, that strong film to
1: establish a tone that other people can then work in, as well as being the yeah, You don't always have to be the best. Sometimes you just have to be first. Um, and because you are <laughs> the true. first one doing this, you are the first shared cinematic universe where films are crossing over and having in you know repercussions in the each film and characters cameoing in other pieces, it's like, holy shit, this is great. And also, they've all been established in the first movie. Cool. And so, after I think you've had the 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 Wonder Woman solo film, the following year, 2012, you get the other solos as well, like Flash solo film, which again, there's all kinds of cool things because you've got Wally West trying to you know, live up to the the hype of being Barry Allen and things like that, and then you get Green Lantern Core film, which is your first, arguably major Black hel- um, Helm superhero film. So again, way before something like Black Panther was doing the same thing, and arguably I know Blade was there first, but um, it's also a big, huge 2012. It's also the risk taking thing that Guardians of the Galaxy was. It's a big space film. It proves it's not just heroes and capes. And then you got, again, other world's finest two the following year, more Batman and Superman being Batman, Superman, and everyone's like familiar with what it is. Then you have a Suicide Squad film because why not? We had it in our universe and it's good. <laughs> and you have <laughs> enough of a universe that you can do these things. You have the villains already established, it actually works quite well. And you have the following year, Aquaman finally gets a solo film, Wonder Woman gets a sequel. 2015, Shazam comes in with a great solo film. Then you have a big crossover in 2015, the sort of halfway point. And that's the Sinestro Corps War, because that affected everything, arguably. Um, you know. So you're thinking they have the kind of Avengers equivalent of like, this is our Age of Ultron, this is
0: our Civil War, this is our whatever, where they all still team up and start.
1: I'd say, yeah, it's, it's for me, I think Sinestro Core War is like the equivalent of uh, Civil War, um, where like yes. it's a Captain America film, but it affects everything. And by that point, people Go are on. going to see it because ultimately it's the next DC film. Then you have a Flash sequel and a Martian Manhunter film, finally, because everyone's like, why the fuck does it not have this film? It's like, well, we weren't really going to work as a character, because there has to be this kind of weird parallel. 2017, you introduce the the Marvel idea of three films a year. You're like, let's get confident with this. So they release <laughs> a big, bold thing again, trying to keep it um quite fresh, Justice League Dark. So, it hasn't been a Justice League film since the first one. Unlike the Avengers coming every now and again, this will be the first one. And it's a full on fucking horror film. New characters coming out. I know you've never heard of with Satana and um, and Constantine and stuff like that. And is, it's this, all... is this helmed by Del
0: Toro again as well? Like a, It'll be a Del Toro is, film, I think. This is the dark
1: we never got. Uh, I think so, yeah. Followed by Shazam 2, which again goes more for a slightly more family friendly, fun Marvel family kind of, as in the, the Captain Marvel family, as it were. Um, <laughs> film. And then finally. World's Finest 3, leading into 2018, which is as a prelude, again, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice style, into George Miller returning, having done Happy Feet 2 and Mad Max Fury Road and getting all the momentum and all Jesus. the powerhouse, and comes in and does Justice League 2, basically. The, the, the 10 year anniversary of Justice League. So in the same way that we get Iron Man and Endgame, you get Justice League Mortal and Justice League whatever the fuck about Earth 3 and the Crime Syndicate. There's are sort of like you know the evil villains. You get lots of oh wow, okay. You get lots of uh, technology pushing stuff where you get good Superman, evil Superman, that kind of thing. And and as a, as a counterpoint for every single one of the universe, yeah, one of them has a beard and or mustache, and the other one doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one's David Hasselhoff and one isn't. Um, but yes, it's it's the, the other idea one is that Henry
0: Cavill with his weird little
1: mustache. <laughs> it's True, we uh, yeah we would be spared that unfortunately. <laughs> it um. And it, it, it's the kind of thing that people would think, oh, what would you do next? What could you do after a big Justice League film? Justice League started amazing. It's like, well, how about you have every single character fighting every single character? And you're like, oh my God, that's that, that that's not... And the same way like Endgame is like, that's not possible, you can't cross over, or Infinity War, I should say, sorry, you can't cross over Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers, that's too much. And it's like, well, we kind of did it for Avengers, what the fuck are you talking about? It's just more people. Um, and, and again, blending this all together and then going off to whatever it would be. And I know this is all literally just me spamming you with names and titles and you could say, well, what about a fucking Black Canary film or something? Yes, 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 yes. But equally, just to give you an impression of what it could look like, where the characters know they're going to be playing those characters, or the actors know they're going to be playing those characters for frankly a decade. Not like the, the hey, Robert Downey Jr. and Terrence Howard, do you want to do this film? Yeah, it'd be fun, um, and they take a risk, and it's surprisingly successful, and they build. No, Who's I mean, Terrence Howard?
0: Don't no, you mean Don Cheadle? Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> don't you mean Don Cheadle? Don't yeah. you mean uh, literally anyone else? Oh <laughs> no. <one. laughs> but this is what I'm trying to say. The idea is that it, I mean, as much as everyone's like, even like with you know, fucking George Lucas. Always back to Lucas saying he had a plan for Star Wars. It's like, yeah, I don't know how much of a plan you actually had, but it's it's fine. Um, I, I, if you had an actual end game, as it were, saying we're going to build from this, this, in the meantime, we'll pick up bits and pieces. Uh, bit. End game? Some Some kind of, uh, uh, a Justice League end game. Oh. oh. Um. Fuck off. <laughs> 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 but then they comes the question of what happens to Disney as a company? Do they even bother purchasing Marvel because they only did that in 2009 because it started to build up interesting momentum and things like that? Probably do. But then they launch it with a couple of films that do and don't work, look like they're playing catch up as DC did. And. Yeah. Turn the tables, Matthew. Yeah, it does end of, like the Star Wars releases, where you're like, they end up saying every now and again, making these weird announcements. We're gonna do the uh, the anthology Marvel stories. <laughs> you're doing what? Okay, we're not doing those anymore. It didn't it didn't work out? Just just <laughs> Trank is an interesting individual. Move, moving on, we're gonna do this. Like, right, okay, what's next? We're gonna stop doing the films for a while. We'll come back to it. We're gonna do TV stuff called you know, like the Mandalorian, you're like, right, so straight to Disney+, if that's even a thing. <laughs> it's, it's of the huge impacts of, like, what if there's no Star Wars? What if River Phoenix is back, as it were, or didn't die? I don't think this is as course-correcting as it seems. It's literally, what if one studio who had rights to the same sort of property did something instead of the other studio? Things kind of shuffle back to exactly where they are, but with a different hat on. It's, it's 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 the slider's style universe of like oh what's wrong with this universe <laughs> oh it's a universe where this happens what's this universe it's where this gate is squeaky It's like what this gate here that you let into my house it had a squeak this one doesn't have a squeak You're like the fuck are you talking about everything's exactly the same <laughs> um it's it is it is a bit it, of the three that we've discussed tonight um i think ultimately it is th- arguably the most generic but also the most contemporary current and let's face it, one of the ones that fans would want to talk about what they would like to have seen. And we've got like a, a Patreon stretch goal. Uh, but when we get to a certain point, we're going to cover the MCU and discuss what we'd like to do in huge multi-part thing. But it's interesting to see what another company would have done with it. What happens if Valiant took over and, you know, they do a, a bloodshot film and it's actually fucking amazing. Vin Diesel. <laughs> um, and then you got exomana war sort of stuff and all the different bits pieces is that the big shared universe that's anyone could have done it in theory you know so yeah i think it's um it's an interesting conversational point but equally i don't think it changes the landscape too much it doesn't change the 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 well, look at it all it just knocks nolan a bit
0: i i don't necessarily agree i think because mcu has such been sorry has been such a big part of the last decade or more of sure. our lives in terms of cinema and how much Disney has kind of dominated the box office. True. I mean, as we said, we went we went through the uh, our favourite films of each year of the last decade kind of thing. I was like, oh, what's the highest grossing thing? Is it Transformers or is it Disney? Because it's one of those two fucking things and that's <laughs> it. Do we have that spin in the other way? And then that affects how the actors who, are, like you said, signed to these ten year contracts, these these legacy contracts that people mm. have with Marvel now, that then stops Army Hammer from doing Lone Ranger, for
1: example. Or doing Good <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, exactly. That that solves it that actually problem pretty quickly. Also stops him working on feasibly, feasibly, stops him working on the social network.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm. And and would Anton Yelchin still be alive? Oh god. Maybe he'd yeah. be off he'd be he'd be living somewhere else and doing something slightly different. He wouldn't have been in that position where he was, you know, killed in that tragic accident with the car and stuff. Like his trajectory as Wally
1: West could have changed him. Maybe he's never in the Abrams Star Trek stuff. He's too big if he's and, in if he's in if he's if he's the fucking Flash in Flash films, then yeah, I don't imagine he would be a small role of Chekhov in Star exactly, Trek. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and where does you know Commons' career go? As you said, we he's had some amazing performances. Like where does his career go from there? Yeah. Where does Baruchel go from there? And I think you again, it's it's pulling on the threads. It's the it's the ripple effect. It's the butterfly effect of like you change this one little thing, and uh, yeah. two or three people's careers change. And turns out, oh, the reason that film was made was because Adam Brody wanted to do this thing, and if he hadn't have suggested that to this director, then that would have never happened. Sure. And you get sure. that. You know, that butterfly effect happens so quickly with one little, you know, little change and little moment. And you would have had, I mean, Weta was due to work on That's the right. costume designs right. and things like that. What would Weta be doing in 2020 if they had been working on essentially the DCU for the last 10 years? Well, not The Hobbit. Where would they be in terms of all that stuff? <laughs> Maybe The Hobbit films were never made. Exactly, because they'd be busy with George Miller off in... Australia, or whoever is directing the next yeah, yeah. Flash, Green Lantern, whatever the fuck, they're off doing that, and the Hobbit films never get made, and Peter Jackson doesn't bother with that bullshit, thankfully, <laughs> again, saving us some more bullshit movies there. But, yeah, yeah I, I I I disagree. I think it it does have – it, it's over a shorter span of time, because, obviously, mm. I'm talking about the last 27 years yeah, of since course, River course. Phoenix died, and Tim was talking about the last 43 years since uh, – yeah. The original Star Wars, since Episode Four, as it is now known, and you're talking about a shorter space of time. But I think to modern audiences and to where we are in 2020, that has a much more direct relevance to where certain careers are. What What would George Miller have done? Maybe I know you predicted like he still does Happy Feet and all this kind of stuff, and then comes back and does Fury Road. Yeah, Yeah. Does Fury Road ever get made? Does Tom Hardy ever? Get that? Does D- Fury Road yeah. or whatever Mad Max version he does win those Oscars? Where the, where is Charlize Theron left? Um, how does you know Hugh Keyes Burn? How <laughs> she's does she's left in the middle career? of the desert? <laughs> exactly, one arm in the middle of the desert, poor woman. Um, how does Hugh Keyes Burn his like trajectory change? You mentioned like he's known for being in the two Mad Max movies. Mm-hmm. If he's off doing other stuff with Miller, maybe he becomes a bigger star and escapes the kind of, you know, the guy who works with George Miller, as he's kind of known. Like, oh, he's that guy who works with George Miller. If he's getting his own Martian Manhunter film, that's fucking massive. Mm. He's suddenly the star of, he's suddenly, you know, Chadwick Boseman. He's suddenly, Mm. you know, like, he's suddenly turning into this, Oh, I've, I've Chadwick Boseman. I've sort of heard of that name before. Oh fuck, he's got his own solo movie. Okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. And suddenly, Chadwick Boseman is suddenly this. You know, you recognize him straight away. Yeah, so like five years ago. You know what I mean? It's like he could have been a huge deal, and Fury Road never gets made, and Hugh mm, Burn turns mm. into a, a big star. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's possible.
2: Um. Yeah. I. 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 I find the kind of the um. Uh, the timeline that you've you've laid out here very interesting I mm. I would I would make a couple of changes, please and I would also have a have a question for you oh go go i'm I'm always good for this yeah i I think as much as we are obviously shunting off into an alternate universe here yes Hollywood is still Hollywood
1: oh yeah, that's true <laughs> and
2: I don't think that you would ever get someone of Hugh Keysburn's age headlining a Hollywood Action film. Mm, okay. Um, and also, like Martian Manhunter struggles to maintain a solo series in the comics. Like he.
1: Yeah, that's why I postponed it so long. I thought, are they actually going to ever make it? <laughs>
2: it's like... I, I think, I think he would essentially be the Hawkeye of the Justice ah, League. He would be the go. character who doesn't doesn't ever get a solo because Aww. because you know maybe he get maybe he gets a. a TV series on WB Plus, you know, <laughs> uh, but but between between having a significantly older,
1: uh, no, it's it's a person point, playing yeah.
2: him who is not who is not a star, you know, mm, is, mm. it's not he's not Robert Downey Jr. kind of
1: thing. He's the um, guy
0: who works with George Miller.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, even 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 Paul Bettany, who is in good shape and a good actor, who's been with Marvel since day one with fucking Jarvis when he became the Vision. Yeah. It's still like, should we TV maybe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no vision film coming, yeah. Well, that's us <laughs> Uh
2: I I wouldn't call it World's Finest. I oh, okay. call it the Brave and the Bold.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Because of the cartoon uh, influence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, and my question is, so yes. you mentioned having uh the uh and this was a fact I didn't know about Justice League Mortal. Yeah. Uh that they were gonna set up Starro
1: at the end. Mm. So where where would he or it I must admit I I might have excised that from the um <laughs> uh, from the actual my version just because now,
2: see i i think and and i not having known this i've just i did a very quick kind of not calculation but kind of story extrapolation in my head because um i I agree with the um when you talk about Batman being the person who, you know, prepares to take out all the other people on the team and they're like, you fucking dickhead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I am a fan of the interpretation and the versions of those stories where they go, no, I like, like Superman trusts uh, Bruce Wayne with a kryptonite ring because he's the person who knows yes, yes. if if everything goes wrong, he's the person to take him out. And um that, story that the tower of babel kind of um comes just after a few stories in the justice league kind of run at the time mm-hmm. where people had been brainwashed or had been you know had their powers stolen and stuff like that yes and so it's it's essentially batman reacting in the way that batman will of going okay this is clearly a problem i need to find a solution to it and obviously he doesn't do it in a particularly uh Emotionally, psychologically, healthy way. Way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but there's an argument that the the need is there, and so that makes Starro the perfect villain to reunite the Justice League because you go because mm. Starro for 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 listeners who don't know, he's a big space starfish that takes over people's brains,
1: he's essentially invasion of, of body snatchers, yeah. What else is he gonna do? Um, he's also like, isn't that their first villain when they like were united and like, yes, yeah,
2: yeah. He was the first Justice League villain from back in the uh, 50s,
1: honestly. Um, It's it's a hard sell visually because, again, space starfish, but...
2: Yeah, but you... you, George Miller could make it work. Yeah, exactly. Um, But you then have a character whose entire deal is taking over people's brains and making them be a threat to the people they love. And so it's a perfect way to then set up Batman being forgiven because you go, uh, uh. okay, yeah, we we see why you did this, because uh uh you know that thing you made to beat Superman? Can we have that now? Because yeah. he's got a
1: space uh jellyfish stuck to him yeah. and uh he's destroying Central City. Which is brilliant. That that works for me, because I think it it it's almost like it, it... It's the, the the um again what we've mentioned in the past about George Lucas liking rhyming in film where you've got like things come back as themes and like no this, this is good this feels like a uh, not closure as such but definitely a natural progression and a familiarity mm. and harking back so yeah I like that that works for me um but yeah no
2: I I, I think um everything that you've laid out is very logical and smart you know it, mm. it obviously depends on
1: things like directors and stuff but it, it's like anything it's me trying to say what would a studio do and it's the classic well, we'll give the Batman Superman film because it's Batman Superman. And then very slowly begrudgingly, <sighs> Lady film? Yeah, let's do the Lady film. <laughs> That's why it's not a Green Lantern film, it's a Green Lantern core film. Because even then they'd be like, Should we pair the black guy up with an angry white guy and Guy Gardner or something? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. And then people might say, Why how can you do Sinestro Core War without Hal Jordan? The answer is they'd fucking figure it out.
2: <laughs> I um yeah, and I think it it, it speaks to that thing of that we spoke about in the Star Wars, um, yeah, yeah, sort of uh, thing of there being a certain kind of even if you take something out, there is a void that 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 culture and the public want filled. Yeah, and you know, we were talking you know uh, about 2008 being this huge momentous year for superheroes, where you get the Dark Knight, and you get Iron Man. Superhero films had been ebbing and flowing at that point for basically ten years, you know, mm. since Blade. Mm. um yeah. and you yeah. you know uh, 8 years since x-men um and so there was a growing acceptance of superhero films and this kind of but also a sense of like oh is that all they are you know is fucking electra and catwoman the best we're going to get
1: yeah
2: um and you have these two films that come along that launch that are incredibly influential and so if you if we have a third one in there that then tips the scales far towards DC mm, mm. in terms of how successful and how well it works. It is gonna it's gonna reshape, but there's there's still that desire that people want for that. Oh, okay, like this is something more, something interesting, um, a different way of looking mm. at films.
1: And um, and I, I, it just thing with branding for a second. It took a while for people to go, I like Thor. I don't really know anything about Thor. Yeah, Iron Man's pretty cool. Captain America. It's like you kinda maybe, maybe know the names, but fuck me, mm. you definitely know Batman and fucking Superman. Yes, arguably with Wonder you, Woman, and, maybe Jeff- and Wonder Woman. Yeah. yeah. As they're there are definitely like there there are sort of staggered layers. Cause obviously we're not talking about, like, you know, we're not talking about fan base. We're not talking about um, people who are turned onto comics effectively. We're talking about effectively what's called the you know, the four quadrant release. The idea mm. of every bastard. Kids need to know the branding. Like old parents, like saying, Oh, I watched a Superman film when I was young. Oh, I remember it was Christopher Reeve, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the, 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 the recognizable brand already would have been such a huge impact. And rather than having to sort of build that trust with an audience, they'd already have it.
0: Just in case any of our listeners are interested in exploring the Tower of Babel that this film would have been based on, that Justice League Mortal would have been based on, there was actually an animated film in 2012, which I really enjoy, actually, mm, called mm. Justice League Doom. Yeah. Um, And it is a fairly faithful adaptation of the comic Justice League Babel. And, yeah, works really well as a paranoid Batman planning for all the different eventualities of evil superheroes and all this kind of stuff, and he's turned against them and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, if you're interested in something that is... a uh, a smaller scale kind of adaptation that is way less batshit than yeah. justice league mortal but still a version <laughs> of the tower of babel story yeah i do recommend justice league doom from uh, 2012 which is yeah not a bad um not a bad entry i guess into the dc animated kind of thing because they don't yeah. really don't really keep consistent with the animated stuff, but it's been a lot of their animated stuff is surprisingly good. And Tim mentioned Justice League Unlimited, the animated series that followed on from the Batman animated series and the Superman animated series. That's utterly fantastic as well. So yeah, if you need some Justice League in your life, isn't the
1: bullshit we got on the
0: big screen. (laughs) I definitely Mm -hmm. recommend checking out some of the animated stuff that is really rather good.
1: Mm. It's fascinating because uh, exactly. it's only because The Dark Knight was such a huge success and the writer's strike delayed uh, Justly Mortal that it didn't happen. Just fucking crazy. Because we was only like just such a two or three small things. Gonna change the course of history. Yeah. Yep.
0: Those are some of our theories, ideas, and suggestions for alternate film histories. If you, dear listeners, have any other ideas and suggestions, I'm sure there's loads of shit we've not even considered, and we'll all go. <laughs> oh yeah bloody hell Mm. wouldn't have thought about that Mm -hmm. one can you can you imagine if that happened oh my god yeah um i think there's gonna be a lot of discussion going on there's often a lot of discussion just because of this show and the way we kind of uh create conversations which is one of my favorite things that we do is we get those kind of you know chatting with the listeners on twitter and especially on our discord server if you guys haven't already joined our discord server all, all the best chat goes on there. And <laughs> as soon as the new episode comes out, everybody jumps on like, oh, yeah, I really like this, or I didn't like that. or mm, Oh, how come you guys mm. did this instead of that? And all this kind of stuff. I think maybe this episode, more than any of the other ones we've done in this kind of inter-season group, is going to be the one that's going to incite a lot of conversation with oh, yeah. our, our listeners and the three of us in that community as well. So, yeah, I definitely recommend. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, we are, of course, at Sequelizers. Uh, The Discord link is in uh, the pinned tweet on our Twitter, so you can go there and join that and come and hang out with us in our various different channels about films and video games and comics and anime and all kinds of other stuff. It's a very cool community. All of our listeners are very friendly, very chatty, and the three of us hang out in there as well and discuss all our various uh, topics of choice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We even have a dedicated Good Crow, Bad Crow channel yeah, we do. That is, uh, that is picking up again and is uh, up and running for a continued game of Good Crow, Bad Crow that transcends all sense and rationale. <laughs> um, just going to throw <laughs> this point. out here.
1: Common, Good Crow, Jay Baruchel, Bad Crow.
0: Oh, here we go. Here we go. So, uh, yeah, post that in the Discord, Matt. Oh, wait, you can't. You've been. Shut the fuck up, you.
1: (laughs) You're the the first person eliminated. I wasn't paying attention and I fucked up so badly. God damn it. There you go.
0: There you go. Um, But, yeah, come and join us on Discord. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And if you would like to follow me directly, I am JLW Chambers. If you'd like to follow Matt, he is Stogs, S T O G H Z. And if you want to follow Tim, he is trivia underscore lad. And yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about all these weird and wonderful alternate histories and alternate timelines. And we'll probably be messaging each other on Twitter and wherever <laughs> being like, oh, fuck, we forgot about this one. Oh, my God. What happens if that happened?" And All this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that discussion for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And on that note, thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we will see you next
1: week. Same bat time, same bat channel. (laughs) Same (laughs) army hammer channels.